2: South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555.
1: All right, uh, it a very good Sunday morning. I guess we might call this the day before winter. Now, it's not going to be that bad, but boy, you're going to see a big change between now and this time tomorrow morning if the uh If the weathermen are at all right, and who knows whether that's going to happen, but they seem to be pretty sure of it this time. And uh, I know when you look up to North Texas, those temperatures have already plummeted. Uh, show in the upper 30s for san antonio tomorrow the middle 30s for the hill country later in the week get ready because it's going to be the mid 30s in san antonio and below freezing up in the hill country once again if you can believe the weather man but that's just such a change these poor plants aren't going to know what to do going from summer to winter overnight and i'm sure that's one of the many things we will be talking about this morning but uh it is a beautiful morning this morning out there Balmy day. <laughs> I think we're all wearing shorts and t-shirts, and gonna have to put those away for a while. But that's a whole nother subject. Ah, uh, looks like we've got Mark and Jeff waiting. That means there are two open lines. So grab one of them if you like. You just heard the number two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. I hate to keep people waiting, so let's just get started. Good morning, Mark.
3: Good morning, Bob.
1: Morning, sir.
3: Well. <laughs> Got my list of things to do here. <laughs>
1: I'll bet you do. Put Where's the freeze Misers on. Bundle up the uh, oh, all sorts of things to do if you live up in Fredericksburg area.
3: Yeah, I'm trying to decide what to try to protect. So, um, but yeah, we're going to have two nights around 30, and then we may get 20 on Tuesday night.
1: That's what they say.
3: Clear. So, um, so, so it's probably hopeless. But we have a huge butternut squash patch. Mm-hmm. and uh, it 's it 's done pretty well this year we basically dripped them every day all year and uh-huh. and, and had a sixty sixty percent shade over the center of it
2: Wow 'cause it, it's
3: it 's hard to keep those going in in normal heat anyway right. it it worked so now we have some that are out there that are probably fifteen or sixteen sixteen inches long and six to eight pounds
1: Wow <laughs> they 're huge yep, yep. Uh,
3: and but they 're slightly green um I don't know if there's any hope. At what point can you harvest those? Do you know?
1: You can really harvest them at almost any time. They they really don't truly ripen. Um, they just get bigger. Now, with the winter squash, the one thing that you will lose a little bit of if you pick them before they're really fully mature, that skin hasn't toughened, uh, so they're not going to keep quite as well. If you decide it's okay. best to go ahead and pick them, I'd, you, know, you can take a... You can take a magic marker or something non-toxic and just mark them some way or other and just put those on the top shelf for the ones to go ahead and cook and use at some point. But that's really going to be about the only difference. I think you'll find the flavors about the same. But if that skin doesn't have time to toughen up, uh, it's not going to store for quite as long. And that, of course, is one of the advantages of the so-called winter squash over summer right, squash. but. Right. As you're smart enough to know, it doesn't mean they grow in the winter. It just means it's usually right. wintertime before you harvest them.
3: So you think slightly green may be edible already, maybe okay? Yeah,
1: I'm pretty sure they will be edible. And I probably wouldn't worry too much if you can you know, spread a big piece of insulate or something over and weight it down good because with the, with the cold, it's going to come wind this evening. But uh, 30 shouldn't really bother them that much. It certainly won't bother the fruit. Um, but it could bother the foliage, but you know, it'd be nice to have the foliage last a little bit longer. So, um, I, yeah, yeah. I just, I just put the insulate over them tonight and then, um, just watch the weather and deal with whatever else we may have to do Tuesday night or so. But, uh, for, right. for now, I would just yeah. cover them. I'd, I'd water them, of course. I'd water them very thoroughly first, but then right. I'd cover right. them and keep your fingers crossed, uh, if If the clouds stick around and they're predicting lots right. of uh right. you know almost hundred percent right. chance of rain when this front right. comes through, may not get quite as cold as they are right. forecasting
3: yeah tonight and Monday night'll be okay, but then it's supposed to clear um yeah we we have the know how and the equipment to to keep things warm, it's just a lot of work especially yep. with something that's, you know, eight feet across and 30 feet long. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: and and just my advice is get it out before the uh, before yeah. the wind hits. You don't want to be out there trying to do it yeah. with a 20-mile-an-hour north wind.
3: Right, right. Those are big sales. Okay, i got some other things, but I'm going to get busy. I'll call you again maybe next week. Okay, thanks, Bob.
1: I'll be here and look forward to talking to you, Mark. Okay. Thank you so much. Yeah, take- <laughs> okay, thanks. <laughs> well, certainly. Goodbye. Next in line is Jeff. Good morning, Jeff.
4: Hey, good morning, Bob, and thank sir for your show.
1: Well, it's my pleasure uh, being here.
4: Hey, um, you've discussed this topic on uh, a number of times, but uh, leaf cutter ants. So, mm-hmm. just for just for context, we live a little bit east of Seguin. We are in the true post oak savanna, and you know, <laughs> you're cut ant country. Than anybody <laughs> that 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 soil is. Sandy loam to sandy, mm-hmm. right? And uh, we are being we are being overrun by cutter ants, and we do have, you know, we do have a, a barn and some stalled animals, and uh, we, uh, you know, I've tried a number of things. I've I've tried uh, ammonia in the in the holes to hopefully get down into the chambers. I've also mm-hmm. tried wet wettable sulfur. Uh, Me and my wife are talking about the nuclear option at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Well, even Uh, nuclear
1: doesn't work. Um, And I I know.
4: So any, you know, any thoughts or suggestions? We what they they have been more prolific around. You know, we try to do a really good job of trying to keep them away. Obviously, they they like leafy plants and we Mm do.
5: Excuse
4: me. We do feed out alfalfa but we try to protect that well but gosh just trying to to hopefully get some control at least around the periphery of the house and the barn and sure that kind sure of stuff.
1: um and and they are they are the black ants the leaf cutters they're not the red ants yes okay yes they uh,
4: are they are the yeah they are uh they're not harvesters yeah, that's that's what
1: I wanted to be sure. Yeah, that's what I wanted to be sure. Yes, um, how have you located their mound? You know where their mound is? Yeah.
4: Oh, yes. Yes. Okay. I, and there's multiple mounds, and as probably you know, they will um, they will have multiple holes, which yep. probably lead to a centralized chamber, right? Deep right. below.
1: And that's, that's what you really want to locate if you can. But, you know, the, the mound can be 15 feet across and usually pretty easily identified because there won't be any vegetation on top of it. It'll just be a little circle exactly. of bare ground. And typically if you move out to the middle of that, take a rebar or something like that, you can push down, especially in your soil and you will mm-hmm. feel it break into their chamber. Um, the, some people are you near a water source or is this out in a field or pasture somewhere?
4: Uh actually it's it's kind of in proximity to kind of our outbuildings. Um mm-hmm. but I I have I have flooded the the, the uh mounds before. Yeah. Uh that seems to kind of push them, mm-hmm. you know, just out. Uh but yep. uh, I do have a water source that's close at least to our barns and all that
1: so yeah and and some people have have gotten rid of them or at least gotten them to move out, just flooding the mound uh flooding the mound with water with a little bit of spinosad in it um that that works for some folks. Um, it's, you know, a, it, an artillery option without quite going neutr nuclear. Right. And unfortunately, this, this isn't, you know, uh, organic, but it's, it's right. about as non toxic as you can get. But if you feel like you have to get to that point, I'd simply go to the store, or the hardware store or whatever and get one or two of these room foggers. That people use inside their homes for ants and roaches and things like that. There, you know, I'd, I'd rather not use them, but it may come to that. But yeah. what you'll do in that case is move out to the center of that uh, above the chamber. You know, poke your hole down into it. Uh, take that little, you know, device with the nozzle on top. Turn it upside down. Set it off, and then put a plastic bag or feed sack or something over mm-hmm. the top of that to hold right. the gas in and most of the time one or most two of those treatments will totally fumigate that mound and and get rid of them i mean it's not like using methyl bromide or the things that uh the big guys right. use which is so toxic i mean they wouldn't they wouldn't make these things to be used inside of homes uh, again i wish there was an organic option but i don't you know y you, you almost need a gas that will penetrate through the mound pretty thoroughly and uh, it's this is about as non-toxic as you can get, and I think still get pretty good, uh, pretty good control. Because sometimes these mounds just get so big, have so many openings, have so many ants that uh, what we do usually with them just doesn't work. And when you're in a position where they're causing you economic damage, then uh, you know you may have to do something a little more. It's uh, for me, I leave them alone because mine tend to show up well out away from my house, my barn, things like that. And they they eat some things that I don't like, like the Smilax vine and things like that. But, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if they're where they're eating your alfalfa, where they're getting into your feed and (laughs) at your vegetable garden or something like that, you know, that that may be the option you have to take. Now, um, again, individual plants, crepe myrtles, uh, they love uh, cedar elms, things like that. You can mm-hmm. keep them out of those plants by wrapping the trunk of the plant with some plastic or aluminum foil, and put something. Uh, a person like yourself would probably use axle grease rather than go out and buy something. And it's right. uh, you just smear a nice wide band, and they simply cannot walk over it. But um, if they're if they're eating up your alfalfa your bales and things like that, then obviously you can't you can't coat them with axle <laughs> grease to keep the ants away.
4: Right. I was curious. It would would has there been ever a thought about diesel and molasses? Uh, um, those yeah,
1: you know, I I have to tell you, and I don't approve of it at all. But um, there are people that pour gasoline on them and light it. And, you know, when you're as dry as most of us are right now, that's, that's not a real good combination. But I know ranchers that, uh, do that. I know, uh, guys that will take, uh, you know what a pear burner is, propane torch. Oh, yeah. And they'll, they'll, you know, try to enlarge the opening end of the mound. I think it's a personal satisfaction thing as much as it is trying to kill the ants. But, uh, that's, and I've seen people go nuclear to that extent and, uh, just shudder because, you know, as dry as we all are, of course. Hopefully that's changing, but, um, I, I I don't really think you would accomplish a whole lot because you're not really going to be able to, uh, Uh, You know, diesel and molasses are both a little bit thicker liquids and simply not going to penetrate the, yeah, because they're, the the chamber they have, I mean, they're not really living there, that's where they're storing the vegetation, and of course they're not really eating the alfalfa, they're not eating the leaves, they're eating a fungus that grows on those things, so, uh, and that's why sulfur usually works, because sulfur is a good fungicide. And uh, if you if you're using the wettable surf, sulfur and you can get the wettable sulfur down into that chamber, you can many times wipe out the colony because once you've wiped out their food supply, which is what the sulfur does, then the ants, um, you know, the ants can't can't live without food. Um, but uh, they're they're tough. There have been millions and millions and millions of dollars spent trying to find controls for them. Because, uh, you think it's bad for you. The guys that are really suffering are the people in the paper industry in East Texas that are, you know, planting pine trees as a crop. And, uh, the cutter ants are stripping and killing the little pine seedlings they put out and, uh, pretty big impact on your lumber companies and your paper companies, uh, that are, that are in effect farm raising pine trees. And they're the guys that poured a lot of money into some pretty toxic research and they still haven't been able to control them.
4: Oh boy. On the wettable sulfur, just one quick question. Uh just you know, and I've done that before, but I've taken a rebar, I've penetrated the, the mound and or the chamber and just again, right, try to get that as far as I can down there. Right. No need to apply any water or anything like that, correct?
1: Oh, no, I, I, W, this is uh, what they call uh, 50W sulfur, which stands for 50% wettable. And that's the beauty of this type of sulfur as opposed to dusting sulfur. It won't, of course, go into solution, but it will go into suspension. You can mix it with water and then you can use that to flood the hole. That's why you use uh, the 50W sulfur instead of uh, dusting sulfur or, you know, other types of sulfur because you can mix it with water and it gives you much better penetration
4: very good all right well thank you so
1: much i, oh, it's a, the I, I wish we had more and i tell you what when one comes along you'll hear it here first appreciate the oh, call yeah. this morning jeff get out and have a good evening and there. get ready for chilly chilly weather
5: got it
1: bye. thank you so much bye uh all right just uh we'll take some more calls in just a minute but right now i get to talk to you about southwest metal roofing systems and uh I can just see the guys out there that sell and replace shingle roofs just rubbing their hands with glee, thinking, oh, boy, cold weather's coming. We can tell people the coal's going to damage their shingle roofs and they'll have to replace them. And that may be true. But if you have a Southwest Metal Roofing System roof on your home, you don't worry about freezing weather. You may worry about it in your garden, but not on your roof. Southwest Metal Roofing Systems simply are immune to weather damage like extreme heat in the summer and extreme cold in the winter months. Our roof here at the nursery with the Southwest Metal Roofing System roof on here. It stood up to big hail, baseball sized hail, and you can barely find a dimple in it. Uh, my roof at home had a tornado go through pretty close to my home, tore up my neighbor's properties, but uh no problems on my home. The uh, Southwest Metal Roofing System's roof is truly a lifetime quality roof. I talked to them after the last little twister went through near the nursery and asked if they had any damage, and... Uh, and they said only where a tree fell on one but uh, and I mean they're not going to stand up to an F5 tornado but the point is that a Southwest Metal Roofing Systems roof is much more durable when mother nature throws unpleasant weather at us. It is truly a lifetime quality roof that's why their motto is do it once do it for life lots of different choices too with colors and styles you're going to save money on your energy bills every month and your insurance company will probably give you a discount on your homeowner's insurance How many reasons do you need to pick up that phone and call 210-822-6868? That's 210-822-6868 for Southwest Metal Roofing Systems, the best roof in the business, in my opinion.
2: South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster, News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071.
1: All right, back to gardening. My next two callers are John and Mike, and uh, let's talk to John first. Good morning, John.
5: Good morning. I almost called you last week about uh, leaf cutter ants, but after your discussion just a minute ago, uh, I got to call you. How about <laughs> cornmeal?
1: I have heard people successfully using cornmeal against uh, fire ants, but I've not heard anybody successfully using it against cut ants. Have you used it that way?
5: No. I was wondering if they would uh drag it in as a food source but they apparently i don't know what the uh, fungus uh, interaction is
1: yeah and there's a lot of fungi grow on you know on the carbohydrate material in corn but it's i don't believe any of that is the same fungus that uh that the that the cutter ants eat they uh they're eating a fungus that grows on green vegetation and uh you know they're only about a million fungi out there, but, uh, it'd be an interesting question, but, uh, I, I don't, I'm not a mycologist. I know a bit about, <laughs> a bit about plants, but when you get into fungi, there are just too darn many of them, and, uh, um, I, I really have no idea exactly which fungus it is I'm sure we could look it up but the fungus that grows on cornmeal is trichoderma and that's why we use tri, uh, uh, cornmeal because uh, the trichoderma attacks and wipes out a number of different damaging fungi everything from the fungus that causes athlete's foot to the fungus that causes oak wilt but uh, I, I doubt that trichoderma is growing on green vegetation I've never heard of that
5: well, I'm gonna. I think we've had limited success with spinosad, so I'll keep on with that.
1: Yeah, it. Uh, as spinosad is one of the best ant killers out there, and um, it. It when you can get them in contact with it, uh, it does work. And if you can soak uh, the area where they're in effect growing their food, I would think it would do a pretty good job against them. But like I say, leaf cutters are. Uh, Outside of termites, they're probably one of the most destructive ants uh, around, and they're just hard to control. Uh, And like I say, there have been millions of dollars spent looking for toxic controls, uh, not to mention the money that's gone into looking for natural controls. And nobody's really coming up uh, yet with a good solution.
5: Well, I was hoping cornmeal uh, would would do it, but uh, we'll keep on
1: Keep you- you try. give it a try, and you report back you are you are designated our our cornmeal researcher in in the cut ant world oh God <laughs> thank you <laughs> John. I appreciate it anything else I can help with
5: this morning uh we'll just keep that rain coming Ah,
1: uh, listen that's they say we're likely to get. At least a fair amount of rain along with the cold weather this evening. So, uh, my fingers are crossed and uh, my lake's hoping, my creek's hoping for it. And hope the Guadalupe River will turn into something other than a dry ditch. But uh, we'll know a lot more this time tomorrow. So, get out and stay warm. We'll talk again and I'll talk to Mike next. Good morning, Mike.
6: Good morning, Bob. Um, I just have a few questions for you. The first one is I'm interested in getting a pine tree. And I know you've, I've been listening to you for a long time, so I know you said the top two choices for this area are the Italian
1: stone pine and the Aleppo pine. And that's correct, Italian stone pine being a little smaller pine, Aleppo pine being a much larger pine. But those are the two that do pretty well in our area.
6: Okay, great. That was actually what I was going to ask you, just kind of the difference between the two.
1: Yeah. The the Italian stone pine is shorter and denser. The Aleppo okay. is much more upright. Uh If you okay, didn't cool. know very much about pine trees, you might mistake an Aleppo for a uh, long needle pine or, uh, you know, loblolly or something like that. Uh, and f- as far as shape-wise go, goes, that that's going to be the primary difference. Now, if you're looking for a conifer that will remind you of living in... uh you know, Colorado or something like that would <laughs> yeah. remind you of a of a blue spruce. Then look at a plant called a deodor cedar. Uh, technically, its botanical name is cedrus, C-E-D-R-U-S. It's a true cedar as opposed to these junipers in the hill country that everybody calls cedar. But a cedrus Deodora, or deodor cedar is many times mistaken for a blue spruce. And a deodor cedar will grow... Just fine in most of San Antonio, especially parts of town that have a little bit deeper soil. Uh, they're totally cold hardy. They grow up. Uh, oh Gosh, used to see a lot of them growing up in the Dallas area when I was going to school up in that part of the world. But uh, if you if you're just looking for a pretty conifer, or if your wife wants a living Christmas tree, uh, deodar cedar is very much worth looking at too.
6: Okay, great. Thanks. Um, next question. Uh, I have a dwarf everbearing mulberry tree, and I've had it about a year. Um, and I, I'm not sure if it's cold-hardy or if I'm going to need to cover that up this winter.
1: I wouldn't worry about it. Uh, cold-hardy down to 20 degrees. If we have another one of these uh, down to single digits, yeah, I probably would probably would protect that. But the uh, biggest problem we have with mulberries in San Antonio area is their susceptibility to uh, leaf fungi specifically something called anthracnose and by the end of the summer they sometimes look pretty rough from anthracnose fungus on the leaves but cold hardiness uh they're you know all all the mulberries are indigenous to some parts of the world and get pretty chilly so uh, i certainly don't think anything we're looking at this week is going to cause you any problem and they are of course uh, normally deciduous so don't be worried if you get a little frost damage on the foliage
6: Okay, great. Um, And then my last question, uh, this is kind of a general plant question, but I always kind of wondered on a cloudy day, uh, do plants still benefit from the sun? Are they still able to undergo photosynthesis and all that, or is it just kind of the same as being in the shade? No,
1: it's, uh, you know, the rays of the sun penetrate the clouds, and of course plants respond to specific wavelengths of light um you know if you if you had a a, a light source that was pure yellow light plants it would be like midnight to them that's why you can't put them under an incandescent bulb inside uh the the only wavelength of light that really activates or energizes the chlorophyll is in the blue range of the spectrum and you you still get pretty much blue light you know on on a cloudy day it's not the red light you know red light comes through cuz you can get pretty darn sunburned on a cloudy day but um, plants do continue to carry on photosynthesis and maybe the biggest effect, um, that, you know, that a cloudy day will have is that it causes the little openings in the leaf called the stomata to open wider. Uh, because the little guard cells, well, has a lot to do with light. But anyway, so plants, uh, do a great deal more transpiring. There's a whole lot more gas exchange takes place on a cloudy day because the stomata are wider open. So the, the metabolism within a leaf changes a bit in, on cloudy weather as opposed to bright sunny weather. But, uh, plants still benefit, you know, from, from, from a cloudy day, so to speak. Now, having the day shorter, of course reduces the net production of carbohydrates, so you're not going to get nearly as much uh, energy stored on an 8-hour day as you are on a 16-hour day, and that's, of course, the difference in the middle of the winter and the middle of the summer. But uh, So that's yeah. going to have some impact on the plants, but cloudy days, no, not going to make a lot of difference.
6: Okay, great. Thank you. That's all I have today.
1: Well, you get out and enjoy, and uh, get out your. I I was bringing my long pants and long sleeves out this morning. No, I'm going to need them tomorrow. But in the meantime, we're supposed to have a pretty nice day today. So you get out and enjoy it. And I know we'll talk again, Mike. Appreciate the call this morning. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Um. Let's see here. Looks like I need to talk about Medina agriculture. And once again, that's such a pleasure. Have known the folks that uh that operate Medina for many years. Wasn't wasn't around to know uh, their original founder, but uh gosh Stuart and his family are just great people producing absolutely wonderful products for homeowners as well as for big agriculture. And their products of course are used worldwide in bioremediation and things like that. Stuart doesn't doesn't brag about himself a whole lot, but let me tell you, Medina has saved and improved the lives of millions of people worldwide taking care of Oh, things like oil spills and cleaning up uh, toxic waste areas. Medina does a lot more than just sell you quality products for your lawn and garden. But, of course, we're most interested in those products. And this is a very important time of year to be feeding your plants, getting them ready for winter. Uh, Medina has their dry granular fertilizers and their liquid fertilizers. They even have a new one out there. I'm going to have to do some experimenting with it before... uh, You know, I'll I'll be able to tell you too much about it, but it's uh, a new has to grow product that's higher in nitrogen, but the kind of nitrogen that we like to see put on plants. Lots of fun things going on. Medina also has, of course, their Soil Activator and their Medina Plus, great products to speed up, The compost pile to use as a root simulator and starter when you're planting all your winter vegetables and flowers. There's just a lot of fine Medina products out there. If you want to see the whole list, go to MedinaAg.com. If you want to see the products, just go to a good nursery or garden center somewhere that specializes in natural products. You'll find all sorts of things from Medina Agriculture. Mm
2: South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071.
1: All right. Back to gardening on a very beautiful Sunday morning out there. Sure hope you can get outside and enjoy this. Maybe do some work in the vegetable garden. Maybe plant some... Oh, some cool weather flowers out there, so you won't have a drab yard like all the neighbors do. Anyway, lots of good reasons to get outside today. Looks like Diane and JT are my next two callers. Diane is first in line. Good morning, Diane.
7: Hey, Bob. Can you hear me okay?
1: I hear you loudly and clearly.
7: Okay, so the guy who lives east of Seguin? Uh Uh-huh. With the ants. Yeah. Okay. Whoever you are, let's rent an aardvark. <laughs> I, that, like those little, you know what, they have mounds popping up everywhere. So our house, when we bought it, the lot next door came with it. Uh huh. So, and there's only grass on a very small portion of that lot. The bulk right. is just, you know, wild, whatever. Except mm-hmm. for... My vegetable gardens, my fig trees, <laughs> my locox, yep. you know, that's kind of my, you know, food source. So, I've got those guys everywhere, which you and I have talked about. And I tried wasp spray because it shoots a really, you know, I got it right down in the hole. Now, I don't know where the chamber is because mm-hmm. I don't have that, that void of anything growing. And I know mm-hmm. what that looks like, okay, but I don't have that. Now... I've been lucky so far because they – I have enough debris mm-hmm. on the ground that that's what they're harvesting, especially uh-huh. now with the seed realms, you know, all right. the seed thingies. Right. And, anyway, um, so I tried also – I had communicated with Howard Garrett, and I was like, you know, you think peroxide would work? And he's like, heck yeah, Did, didn't put a dent in it. The wasp spray just made them move that little mound to another location.
5: Mm-hmm.
7: Um, so I remember years ago, Sandy Oaks Olive Orchard had a, cut, a leaf cutter ant problem, and she came up with something that I have a vague recollection worked. And I was hoping yep. you might have a less vague recollection.
1: Well, and it did work, and she didn't tell anybody what it was, and then she passed away, and uh, apparently she she took that, as they say, took that secret to the grave with her, sadly. We we all miss Sandy a great deal, and uh, I don't even know if the olive orchard is still functioning. But, um, yeah, I, I wish I knew, and perhaps... Uh, Somebody that knew her or, you know, worked with them would have more of an idea. But, yeah, it's something that she blended up. I'm quite sure it was herbal. And uh, we actually used some of it, um, but uh I have no idea what, what all was in there.
7: Darn. Yeah. Okay, if I've had that thought of- more
1: than once. <laughs>
7: yeah maybe there's some communicator with spirits. I don't know what you call those
1: people <laughs> paranormal. paranormal that's it. I tell you what I will do next time I talk to Bruce Dooley. Bruce and Sandy were very close, and Bruce helped Sandy with a lot of different projects, everything from pressing the olives to growing the olives and uh uh talked to Bruce just a few days ago, and um uh he's probably listening this morning and uh I'll get with him and see if he has any idea of what Sandy was putting in her special uh Cutter Ant, uh mix, but um i i I don't think I ever knew, and if I did i've forgotten it, but i don't think I ever knew it to begin with because i don't forget much plant material, other things I forget very quickly, but plant names and things like that tend to stick with me and things like that but uh, i'll i'll find out if Bruce has any idea, but beyond that um i i don't know that we'll ever know.
7: Okay, so if I wanted to try the wettable sulfur, because uh-huh. I have basically got a vacant lot with mounds everywhere and I don't know where the chamber is, would I have to literally cover the entire lot with the wettable
8: well, sulfur? Well,
1: you know how, you know what their biology is, and what they're doing is eating the fungus that grows on the leaves and things that they are cutting, uh it has nothing to do with the you know the the leaves themselves and has nothing to do with sulfur doing anything to the ants uh the sulfur simply kills the fungus that they're eating so uh you're not going to accomplish anything unless you can get the sulfur onto their little production chamber so to speak now normally um if you have a series of openings and perhaps associated mounds if you can if it forms roughly a circular or oval area you can be pretty sure that the chamber Is kind of in the middle of that area And then you go out with a rebar Or Howard Garrett would use an old golf club That he's broken the head off of And saw that off at a at an angle And use that That's what he uses to check for soil moisture But you could certainly take something like that And probe down into the ground uh, To see if you can find that chamber And then that's where um, You know that's where you want to Get your sulfur water into But um, beyond that I uh, I don't know <laughs> know anybody in the Air Force that knows anything about ground penetrating radar that's not top secret? Maybe we could use that to you know to find those underground chambers just like the Hughes for ammunition dumps. But uh now I wish I wish there was an easy way you know, to determine that, but uh, it's just uh, it's just hit and miss, I think, and it's certainly you've got much softer soil than I do in the hill country, and you can get out and probe around, and uh, where I have had them on my property, it's a very distinct thing. You're pushing, in my case, it's just a piece of 3-8-inch rebar. I'm pushing it down into the ground, all of a sudden you feel it break into a cavity, and that's where you'll know that you're in that chamber. Now, other people... Uh, have been successful in dry weather, which we've had, and maybe that's going to change in the next few days. But other people have simply mounted a lot of diatomaceous earth around the openings into the chamber, and I've had people tell me that, uh, uh, that that worked well for them eliminating them, but I've had other people say it didn't work at all. So, uh, that's one more well, thing you might try sometime. Of course, DE has to be dry to work, but, uh, Lord knows getting- we've had plenty of dry weather.
7: I tried that at when we lived out in the country I had the same problem and I mm-hmm. tried that I I spent a ton on DE and I tried the uh tanglefoot yep. and they they just sacrifice and make a bridge of their dead buddies <laughs> I mean that, that nothing stops them so now what I do is I go out at, at night and I stomp on their holes and I go out in the morning and I stomp on their holes, and I feel like, well, maybe that'll at least slow them down because they're having to reopen their exit.
1: <laughs> Diane's and, exercise program. <laughs>
7: yeah, and they, but anyway, so peroxide doesn't work. Um, you know, wettable sulfur may or may not work if you can get it in the right place. I can't wait uh-huh. for the cornmeal. I'm serious about the bark. Is that like? Is that? Is that? Can we get an aardvark in this part of the world? Hey,
1: you're it? gonna have to. You're gonna have to talk to a zoologist at the at the zoo or somewhere else. But uh, you know, if you're if you're really wanting to go, you know, I won't say odd, but if you want to go to unusual, why don't you go down to Home Depot and get one of those cans of uh, spray foam insulation, and you can spray it that down into the hole, and it'll harden, and they'll have to dig twice as hard to find their way out. <laughs>
7: Okay, well, if the guy in Seguin or any of you guys listening get to uh, you know some help, please call Bob and let him know so we can all share. You no,
1: know, it. again, it's it is uh, uh, it is something that if we can find a reasonable solution, uh, whoever comes up with that's going to be a hero, and if they work it right with the paper companies in East Texas, they're probably going to be wealthy too. So. Uh, There's a lot of good minds, a lot of good uh, money working on it, but I don't think anybody's discovered it yet or they haven't told us if they did, Diane. So you keep doing your research, and we'll do the same, and it's always a pleasure to hear your voice.
9: You too. Take care.
1: Thank you so much. (laughs) Goodbye. All right, let me get my last break of the hour in here, and then we'll talk to J.T., I get to talk about the freeze miser. You know, two weeks ago when they said, hey, let's start talking about freeze miser again, I thought, hey, it's 85 degrees, but if you want to, I will. Now, here we're looking at 20 degrees in Fredericksburg later in the week, even colder up in Mason and on further up. You better get those freeze misers out, and if you don't have a freeze miser, you better get one for each hydrant that you want to protect from potential breakage when the, when the weather gets well below freezing. What the freeze miser is, if you're not already familiar with it, it's a very interesting little device, maybe three or four inches long and an inch in diameter. No wires, no batteries, but some very magical chemistry inside of there. You screw the freeze miser onto your hydrant, you turn the water on, nothing happens. No water comes out. But if the water inside the pipe, this has nothing to do with air temperature, but if the water inside of the pipe starts getting down in the 30s, starts approaching freezing... Freeze miser automatically starts dripping that hydrant just enough to keep the faucet from freezing. You can put them on once in the fall, leave them on all winter long, and if it's a hydrant you use all the time, just do what I do: put a little Y connector on there, put the freeze miser on one side, put your garden hose on the other side. These things have been around. I guess this is the third year I've used them. They've protected my home, and I tell you, I've had a lot of people say thank you for telling us about the freeze mizers and. Uh, just remember, you have to turn the water on after you put it on. It is a plastic housing, so screw it on carefully so you don't bung up those threads. If you want to see exactly how freeze miser works, go to freeze If you want to find freeze misers, I suggest you go to a good nursery or garden center, independent hardware store, lumberyard. You're not going to find them in the box stores. You're going to find them with independent merchants that love selling the freeze miser. Check them out if you like at freeze
2: South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster, News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071.
1: All right, back to gardening on, uh, golly, sunny, sunny, beautiful morning out there. Hard to believe that tomorrow morning we'll probably be bundled up and uh, wishing the wind had stopped blowing quite so hard. But for right now... It's a great day to get out and work in that vegetable garden, or plant some petunias, or snapdragons, or Johnny Jumpups, or stock. Or I can find lots of things for you to do outside. Ah, let's get back to these phone lines, and
10: uh, JT is up next. Good morning, JT. Hey, good morning, Bob. Morning. Quick question and an observation for you. I uh, improved the consistency of my orange oil and vinegar mixture by mixing in some lecithin to make that oil emulsifier. Ah,
1: that's an interesting Otherwise,
10: idea. If, well, if it's just separated, you know, sometimes you get oil on the plant, sometimes you don't. Sure, um,
1: yeah. Great idea. Would
10: that, would that be effective on uh, on those cut ants? Does orange oil kill them?
1: If they come in contact with it, yes. Uh, orange oil, of course, is a very powerful solvent, and what it does, you know, ants like other insects have an exoskeleton, and when you soften that up, uh, there are a number of different uh, microbial things in the soil that will will wipe out the ants, whatever kind of ants they are. So if you could get, actually get that on the ants, yes, should be very effective in killing them. Doesn't? It's not an instantaneous thing, but
10: it doesn't take long. I wonder if you could flood it. You know, take quite a bit of orange oil, but if you yep. emulsify it, then it'll go wherever the the fluid goes and not not separate it out and. and, uh,
1: and it, yeah, you know and. Ants are if you 've ever looked at you know a diagram of an ant colony they' uh, they 're pretty clever the The chambers in which they you know put their eggs and things like that they seal them off sometimes from the other parts of uh, the colony, so to speak, so uh, it it might take more than one application because uh, it'd be hard to really totally thoroughly saturate you know the whole area of a colony but you know, if you knocked out ninety percent of the worker ants, so to speak, that are harvesting and bringing the leaves in, you'd sure set that colony back. And uh, if you manage to manage to get it to the queen, then the colony will eventually die out. But uh, there may be fertile eggs that hatch somewhere down the w- road. So uh, I think it'd be very much, very much worth a try. I'd love for somebody to give it a shot, and we'll see how it works out.
10: Well, I don't have any, or I would, but I've got a teaspoon of lecithin per cup of oil. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And then you, not for mixture, but just per cup of oil. Then however much oil you, you mix into two gallons, three gallons, five gallons, however. Yeah, yeah. Seems like it might work, but it'd yeah, be you know, worth it's a try. Available on Amazon. It's not very expensive. And no, you, can you probably a get it bit of that. And.
1: Probably get it in a drugstore or even a grocery store. It's used widely in uh, in pickling and jelly making and things like that. So it shouldn't be hard to find oh, at yeah. all. But uh, if you get a chance to uh, give it a try, I'd love to hear back from you.
10: All righty, hey, have a good day. Stay warm. Talk to you later. Yeah.
1: All right, sir. Thank you so much. Great idea. Love, love thinking people. Uh, I believe Jill's next, and uh, we'll get started. If uh, we have to hold you through the new break, we could news break. We could do that. Good morning.
9: Good morning. Um, Good morning. I have a question regarding a sweet almond verbena that's grown way too big. Can Uh I transplant it, and when should I do that?
1: They are a woody shrub. If you are in pretty good soil, uh, you can certainly transplant it. Uh, Smaller plants are easier to transplant than big plants. How how large is is your sweet almond verbena?
11: It's probably
9: 12 feet tall.
1: Okay, and the trunk is how thick? Uh, I'd
9: say inch and a half. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah, something that big, you're gonna have to get a root ball that's you know at least 18 or 20 inches in diameter. Um, I I wouldn't do it right now. Sweet almond verbena. We had one that was cold hardy for a long time until we got down in the single digits. And But most of the sweet almond verbena you buy is going to freeze back. And I wouldn't give it, you know, a double shock. I wouldn't transplant it right now when we may get into colder weather. Uh, what I would do is mulch the base heavily, mulch, you know, up the lower six inches of the trunk. We'll see how far it freezes back in the winter. And then in early spring, when it first starts to come out, that's the time you would have the most success transplanting it, even if you wound up bare-rooting it. Uh, you do that in February or early March when it's not covered with foliage, you'll have a much better chance of transplanting successfully.
9: Oh, good. Thank you very, very much. I appreciate it.
1: Well, it's my pleasure. Anything else I can help with today?
9: Nope, that's
12: my question.
1: Well, you get out and enjoy a wonderful Sunday then.
12: All right, only about
1: 30 you, seconds still. Thank you very much. Uh, 30 seconds till news time, so am not going to try to squeeze another call in here. Do have some open lines. Grab on them if you like. 210 599 5555. Real quickly, a couple of fun things next weekend Nature Fest from Green Spaces Alliance down at Mission County Park, and the uh, Mexican Food Supper with the Kendalia Volunteer Fire Department. That's where I'll be next Saturday evening. Hope you will too. More after news here on KTSA San Antonio.
2: South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk. to bob now 210-599-5555
1: all right back to gardening on a beautiful sunday morning looks like it's going to be nancy and john and debbie and uh first in line is nancy good morning nancy
0: good morning thank you good morning
1: thank you for calling sir
0: (laughs) yes so i think uh i missed the portion where you talked about crepe myrtles and what we're supposed to do with them about this time before october ends
1: well not really anything that you need to do if they are buried too deeply i mean 365 days a year you need to check and be sure that root flare is exposed on your crepe myrtles and probably 95 percent of the crepe myrtles out there are buried too deeply and over time that keeps them from performing and can ultimately kill them. But, uh, you don't want to prune this time of year because it's still, we're going to have lots of warm days and you don't want them to sprout back out. Uh, you want right. to be fully dormant. Uh, now just a time uh, we're pretty much beyond blooming on them, but many crepe myrtles, uh, especially with a little rain, are going to have some beautiful fall color. So just sit back and enjoy, and <laughs> and I think I can find plenty of other things for you to do in your garden, but uh, uh, don't need to worry about a thing with the crepe myrtles, except uh, water if we don't get rain, and like I say, always a good time to be sure the root is exposed. But beyond that, a little water and fertilizer, and you're set for the winter.
0: Well, I think uh, I, I, in passing, I just thought I heard something about the when they're since right they made those little seed pods Uh and so forth. Is there anything to do with that? The birds,
1: it's a very important food source for the birds. So I tend to leave them on. Now in the spring when you're going to do your general pruning, yeah, cut them off. They're pretty unsightly, but. Birds have had a tough year of it, uh, except for people who are kind enough to provide them with supplemental nutrition, Uh but what they found out in nature in this hot, dry summer has been far less than usual, and uh, grape myrtle seeds, they're not going to sprout up all over like ash seeds or mulberry seeds or things like that, Mm -hmm. Uh, but they are a good food source for the birds, so I just leave them up there, and at the end of the winter, that's when I'm going to prune them off and do whatever other pruning I need to do on the grape myrtles.
0: Okay, well then we'll leave them at this. So my last, my other question is actually regarding tomato plants. Uh-huh. Um, I do have tomato plants, and so I am I want to use maybe some a cotton sheet, but I didn't know if it needed to be more of a flannel type. Sorry, I'm not sure. This is my first year planting tomatoes. So Are
1: you talking about probably. to protect them from freezing weather? Mm-hmm. They yeah. actually make uh, special fabrics that uh are much better than cotton or even wool. And uh they as a general rule they're called floating row covers. Uh my experience has been that the colored ones, the green ones, don't work nearly as well as the white ones. Uh the one that I love is called insulate. It's the letter N dash S-U-L-A-T-E. And it'll give you between five and ten degrees of protection. The other thing about the white is that it lets the enough light go through for your plants to continue to grow. We use it around oh gosh, some of our perennials and things like that, and we'll put it on you know in the fall and leave it on all winter long uh just on on things that might that are evergreen but might be a little cold sensitive so uh don't don't try to get something you know out of the closet uh uh, the insulate, you can take on and off. I've got uh, sheets of it that are probably five years old that are still as good as the first time I used them. So uh, if you leave out and out in the weather all year long, they'll deteriorate after a couple of years. But if you uh, if you just put them out for the cold and then bring them back in and keep them somewhere dry, they'll last for years for you.
0: Okay, and I would find that then in a, in a good nursery, correct? Not at yeah. the... The hardware yeah,
1: I I don't know. Some good hardware stores okay. may have it, but uh, good nurseries certainly will. And I use clothespins to put it on. That's uh, you know I grow I my tomatoes in cages, and it literally right. takes seconds to put the um, the insulate on and off. And like I say, just using something like clothespins, it's quick and easy, and it'll give you five to ten degrees of protection. The other thing it does, it protects against those really cold, dehydrating winds. So it's not just the temperature, it's sometimes the dehydration. There, there are days I think I want to wrap myself up in one of those things. <laughs> and it probably would work, but
0: I haven't done it yet. <laughs> okay, sounds fair. Okay, well, don't don't blow away. <laughs> I'll do. okay.
1: Hey, Biz, could you do the same.
0: Okay, thank you so much.
1: Always a pleasure. That. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Goodbye. And don't forget to protect your your, uh, peppers and eggplants and other things. And uh, hopefully it's not going to get that cold. Hopefully this will be a little dip down to keep the frost off of them and then get another month or two of production. Next in line is John. Good morning, John.
13: Uh, Good morning, Bob. Uh, I found a product that uh, I've had some success with, with the leaf-cutting red ants. Uh, Tell me about it. Tell me about it. It's it's not... uh, natural or anything like that. I bought it at Walmart. It's uh Amdro A. M. D. R. O.
1: Yeah. I'm yeah. About
13: it's... a teaspoon or two around that, right around their hole and they immediately start taking that down into the colony. So uh, Well it, walked, yeah, it I had is to walk it my is. whole property. That's the only problem. You gotta walk around once a week and find the new mounds, but the ones that I have uh served that to, they've completely gone inactive and doesn't seem to be Any more uh, activity around those mounds, so
1: well that's good to know keep it out of your vegetable garden and keep it keep it away from your pets and kids and things like that but since most of the leaf cutting ant mounds are you know out in open open property it's uh you know they used to they used to dump that out of airplanes it's not I, I would avoid using it unless it was, you know, uh, just the only thing that'll work. But on leaf-cutting ants, if it works, that's probably a pretty good solution. But like I say, keep it away from your pets and family. And uh, it's a bait, so it's not like you're trying to cover the whole area. You're just trying to uh, put it out where they will find it, take it back, and feed it to the queen, and then that's the end of the mound.
13: Right. And then, like I said, I just put it around the opening there, like. Maybe a teaspoonful it doesn't take a lot um, and I live out in the out in the country, so it's you know i'm not i don't have I'm out in the field and stuff like that we get a lot of and they and they yeah. travel long distances to get the boy my, uh,
1: don't they though don't they though but uh well, your rough's kind of share that's uh sounds like a very reasonable solution, John, I appreciate you letting us know anything else I can help you with this morning.
13: Uh, When uh, it's time to cut back trim myrtles, uh, I've got some that are probably you know, 12, 15 feet high. and mm-hmm. I don't want to – how far down do you, do you trim? I just wanted to trim some off the tops so to even a mountain in height, you know. But, that's uh, – that's,
1: yeah, that's all you need to do. There's no mandate. Crepe myrtles don't have to be pruned at all. We just prune them to shape them. Um, and if yeah. you're cutting very far down on, on a trunk or on a limb, the important thing is just not to, don't just cut it at a random point. You would want to cut it just above where a little limb is already forming that points off in a direction you want it to grow. But if you're just, you know, trimming the top of the things to take off of the old seed heads and all, uh, just do it quick and easy. You don't have to be real careful. But, Uh, If you want to do a major size reduction, just follow the, the long limb you want to take off. Just follow it down to where it's already got a little small limb developing, cut just above that point, and that way the crape myrtle will put its energy into developing that limb instead of just producing that whole bird's nest of growth that's so unattractive.
13: All right, sir. Thank you very much. Have a good day.
1: You do the same, and thank you, John. Sincerely appreciate it. Okay, goodbye. Um, let's see here. I better get a quick break in here, and then, Debbie, you will be up right after that. I have the pleasure of talking to you about Dr. Mark Williamson, and uh, once again, such a pleasure talking about great people, providing great services. Dr. Williamson is, I guess he's a a modern old-fashioned dentist would be the best way I can put that. He knows just about everything there is to know about dentistry. He's been at it for a lot of years. He's very, very broadly trained, far more so than uh, most dentists are but he still gives the old-fashioned service. He's not worried about the next patient. He's worried about you. He wants to give you all the service you need. And you're not just a number and a name. He wants to know about you, know about your family. You'll find his office to be one of the friendliest places you've ever been. And uh, he practices all forms of dentistry. He, of course, worked with Dr. Staffel for years. And uh, the sedation dentistry that Dr. Staffel pioneered, well, he's continuing it. He even improved upon it if you're someone that's uncomfortable having dental work done. I don't know what else I can tell you. It's just so many dentists uh, these days, especially people coming in just out of dental school, they're trained that if it's more than just a simple filling or cleaning Send them off to a specialist. Well, Dr. Williamson does all that right there in his office. He is the specialist, uh, so broadly trained, so competent, and uh, just a place you will feel good about going. If you're new to the area looking for a good dentist, uh, if your dentist has moved or retired and you're wondering where to turn, I'd sure suggest you consider the offices of Dr. Williamson & Associates. Number, if you need it, 210-341-2569. Is 210-341-2569 for Dr. Williamson and Associates.
2: South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071.
1: All right, back to gardening. Looks like we're going to talk to Debbie and then another John and then Robert. Uh, good morning, Debbie. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Good morning.
12: I had something strange happen um, last weekend to my elm tree. I've never seen it before. Um, branches about the width of maybe a toothpick, and they were only uh-huh. about, I don't know, six inches long. They yep. were all just cut cut, uh-huh. cut, 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 on the ground. No squirrels around. And cleaned those off the ground because I just put my mulch in. And then a few hours later, there they are again. What doing that?
1: It's probably, if you don't have squirrels, squirrels are the most common ones, uh, but there's also a little strange little beetle called a twig girdler. Uh, They get after pecans more than they get after elm trees, but we're seeing them on elm trees this year for some strange reason. Uh, They lay their eggs out in the tip of that little branch and then cut it off. little branch falls down on the ground. The eggs hatch and burrow into the ground where they you know go through their life cycle until they turn back into adult beetles the good news is that they're really the damage is only cosmetic and uh they for some reason on pecan trees they'll go after limbs up to the size of a wooden pencil but on elm trees it seems to be just those tiny little tips of the branches and uh I I'm not one for spraying even mild insecticides like spinosad, which would probably kill them. But I'm not one for spraying it much up in the air, not really hurting anything. And uh, when the uh, trees come out in the spring, you won't ever know that uh, they cut those little limbs off.
12: Yep, and and it was strange. It only happened for a couple of days in a row.
5: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
12: haven't happened again. It happened a little bit at the top of the tree. I just uh-huh. see where some that happened, but but that's it, and only on one side, one small section. So it was yep. really
1: odd. It um, is nature. Nature does things that are hard to figure out sometimes. But <laughs> I think she just didn't want us to ever feel like we truly understand the the natural world. <laughs> There's going to be something different show up every time you get smug about how much you know.
0: Yeah.
12: And I have one, one last question. Um, I have a Spanish oak that was planted about five years ago. Oh, it's mm-hmm. already I don't know, about six, eight inches around. And um, the originally when the guy planted the tree, he put the um, you know, made the mulch all the way around, did that
11: ring mm-hmm. and we had
12: water and such and, and over time it's all washed off. And I'm noticing that some of the roots are coming up about I don't know, about a foot out. You can see tops of some of the roots, not the Uh end of the root, but just the tops. Sure. Do I need to cover those back up?
1: Absolutely not. Absolutely oh. not, in fact, okay. that you know <laughs> I, I'm pleased most people plant trees don 't know what they're doing, and they plant them too deeply. Sounds like yours was planted right, which is and and I suspect if you were to take the hose or something and wash the dirt away, you would find that those roots are right up toward the surface of the soil, and we actually like to see them you know, above the surface of the soil is what we call the root flare, where the trunk really starts to broaden out at the base. And having soil piled up around those roots and things uh, is actually harmful to the tree. So you just leave them alone and just, uh, um, it's it's a normal thing to happen. And Uh, absolutely no reason to cover them up. Now, in a hot, dry summer, sure, you may want to put a little mulch over them just to keep it a little cooler, to help retain a little bit of moisture. Uh, But in that case, we're going to use just a shredded material. We're certainly not going to put dirt over the top.
12: Okay, perfect then, and but I did notice that that this last summer, and maybe it's due to the drought that this, that there were squirrels at that time in the summer before I got my little foster dog, who's a squirrel um,
5: <laughs>
1: good were, for him
12: yeah. on on the where that root was exposed
10: mm-hmm.
12: so and
1: yeah, again, they're just they're little rodents, they're gonna gnaw just about anything. Where you see that, it would help to seal it with any kind of paint. doesn't have to be pruning paint or anything like that because technically you can get oak wilt introduced through a root wound just like you can on the top of the tree. I probably, you know, and especially in a hot summer, if you can keep two or three inches of mulch over the root system, that's going to pretty much deter the squirrels and going to keep the roots cooler, going to help hold some moisture in the soil. Mulchers are just great things winter and summer, and... um uh, and you know, if you ever if you ever want to haul off the little, I call them bushy-tailed tree rats, and <laughs> various people <laughs> criticize me for calling them what they are. But uh, a neighbor of mine uh, gave me for Christmas last year the uh, one of what they call the Squirrelinator. and it's the most unique little live trap I've ever seen. And the beauty of it is, you can catch six or eight squirrels at a time. Uh, before you haul them off. So, if you decide you want fewer squirrels, look into getting a squirrelinator. But uh, uh, you're not telling me anything that I'm going to panic over.
12: <laughs> okay. And I did think of one more thing, super quick. Um, okay. Fig trees. Um, I wanted to give my mom a fig tree. She lives down in Brownsville.
1: Okay. Very you good. Yourself,
12: I, I saw a couple of varieties at your place a few weeks back. It is. Mm-hmm. Would one of those varieties work, or do I need to get something different?
1: No, Brownsville is a great place for any kind of fig you want to grow because they're much less likely to freeze back down there. I still recommend if you want a full-size bush, if she has room, uh, you'll get best production, two best varieties out there, in my opinion. One of them is called Celeste, sometimes sold as Celestial, and the other is called Alma, like Sol, A-L-M-A. Uh, those are two that are what we call closed-end figs, and they produce a little drop of rosin down on the end of the fruit, which keeps the little fruit weevils from getting in. And in Brownsville, the the little weevils that get in there and cause the fig to sour can be a little bit more of a problem than they are in the hill country. So Alma and Celeste would be my two top choices for a full-size fig. Um, If you you wants something that will not take up as much room, of course, won't give as many figs, but still give a good edible fig, Uh, There's a fun little dwarf fig called Little Miss Figgy. Little play on words there, but Little Miss Figgy can actually be grown in a big pot or planted in the ground. But uh, if your mom likes figs and figs newtons as well as I do, I should probably want a bigger plant. And uh, uh, Almond Celeste will be my two top varieties.
12: Perfect. Thank you so much, Bob. I appreciate your time today.
1: I appreciate your call, Debbie. You get out and have a good Sunday. Thank you. (laughs) Goodbye. All right, uh, yeah, we've got time for another call before we take a break, and that would be John. Good morning, John. Yeah, Bob. Good morning. Good morning.
14: Yeah, I've got some red yuccas, and, you know, the the spike that they come out that they put all the little balls of seed on. Right. Uh, can When's a good time or to take and snip those out? Mine are, you know, really long now, and most of the seed pods are all dried up.
1: Do you want to try to grow some from seed, or you just want to get rid of them?
14: Just get rid of them. They're kind of around some air conditioning equipment stuff I've got. Sure,
1: sure. There's never a bad time to do that, John. You do it when it's convenient for you. doesn't matter whether they're green or brown. I'd suggest as soon as Dr. Kirby goes off the air at noon, that'll be a real good time to get out and start trimming.
14: Cowboys game comes on. Watch
1: out! Oh, uh, that's right. The, <laughs> got some good sports going on uh, yeah. right now, and I haven't heard how the uh, uh, how how the baseball game came out last night. Have you? Uh,
14: not not good. Nine to one or something like that. Diamondbacks.
1: Uh, well, but, uh, better luck anyway, next time.
14: <laughs> if, I did want, if I did want to to try to transplant or try to start some from seeds, how is the best way to go about it?
1: Well, wait till the pods are fully brown, and when you open them up, you'll see little sacks of what look like little miniature poker chips, tiddlywinks, however you want to think of it. They're black in color, they're very thin, and each seed pod will have about, I think, five either three or five little stacks of these things and you just uh, when they're dry they separate out um, like i say they're probably you know, three sixteenths of an inch in diameter just plant them in any good loose soil you get almost a hundred percent germination one of the easiest plants to grow from seed i've ever seen uh, Uh, I would plant them, what I, what I've done, it's been years since I've done it, but I grew a lot of them when I worked with a gentleman up in the hill country. And I would take, you know, a big pot and plant, you know, maybe 30 or 40 seeds in it, very shallow. Just cover them with maybe an eighth of an inch of soil. And then when they started sprouting and coming up, I'd let them get about two inches tall and then I'd move them on to their own individual pots. But, uh, um, easy to grow from seed. Just be sure your seed pods are fairly mature. And I don't know if you've discovered, uh, you probably have the salmon-colored one, which is the old-fashioned yeah. one that's been around for many years. Uh, but there's one now that's almost bright red that's called brake Lights. There's one that's almost pure yellow. There's one that's a very bright pink color. Um, I would think about just kind of watching as you... Uh, drive around and make note where some of those unusual colors are, and I'm sure people wouldn't mind uh, uh, giving you a couple of dry seed pods off of those, and you might really expand the color range you have out in your garden, which is lots of fun. Be,
14: yeah. Let me ask you one more quick one. If I, uh, How long once you plant the seed to get one to, you know, a decent, uh, you know, four or five inches high to go ahead and try oh, to plant?
1: Oh, yeah, three or four months. Uh, okay. They The young ones you'll need to protect from freezing weather. So you want to plant your seeds and keep them. If I was doing it, I'd do it on a propagating mat or something like that. But they will need to be inside in a bright, warm place. And once they sprout and grow, they'll need to be where they get good light. But your established plants are very cold-hardy. They're not truly a yucca. They're a plant called Hesperalo. But uh, I guess somebody looked at it and thought it was a yucca, so they gave him a strange name. But uh, they're among the hardiest, best plants you can plant, as long as you have a full sunspot to grow them.
14: Yeah, mine went through the last two big freezes, no no problem at all.
1: Not to mention this summer's drought with no problem at yeah, all, so yeah, that makes no a
14: pretty, they're pretty, they're pretty good.
1: darn good plant. Yeah,
14: they are. Thank you, Bob you're welcome
1: john you do the same sir thank you goodbye all right don i guess we better get a break in here i don't have any lives until the top of the hour so run what you need to and robert will be next
2: south texas gardening with bob webster news talk 550 ktsa and fm 1071
1: all right back to the phone lines looks like going to be robert and glenn and tana robert's first in line good morning robert Good Morning, Bob. Good have morning,
15: beautiful
1: sir. Day. Absolutely.
15: It's a good thing we have at least some warning this time so we can get some last minute <laughs> things done
1: outside. Well, hopefully so, and hopefully they're right about the rain. I'm not excited about the chilly part, but uh they're they're pretty much giving us a hundred percent chance of rain, and somehow they seem to get that right. When they say eighty percent or ninety percent it never happens, but when they're that this confident this early on who knows how much we'll get but i have an idea it's going to be a a little wet when the front blows through
15: i don't mind the cold it seems to me it's almost more enjoyable at the rodeo in february and it works fast in november when it's cold and wet and it just makes you feel more like a festival
1: well hot chocolate weather and uh yep you're you're absolutely right if you don't have to it's like my friends up in wyoming uh where they get you know 30 40 below zero he said uh we don't mind the cold, but we hate the W word, that being wind. <laughs> cold, yeah. you can bottle up against, but that wind will hurt you. But what's going on in your world this morning?
15: Uh, quick little list of hopefully quick answer questions. I got a, a dozen Baroque acorns. I went uh-huh. the golf course the other day. Any any hints to get those to sprout?
1: Uh, they'll sprout pretty easily. Uh, if you okay. want to... If you want to be sure they're viable, throw them in a bucket of water. The ones that sink are going to be the best ones. If you just got ten, I'd plant them all. If you get a hundred of them, I'd throw them in a bucket and just plant the ones that sink. Plant them in good soil about an inch deep. And the most important thing is whatever pots or buckets you plant them in, put some chicken wire or something like that over the top because those blasted squirrels can smell an acorn six inches deep in the soil. And I have a good friend that planted some beautiful acorns, and about three weeks later, just where they were about to sprout, a squirrel came through and dug up and ate every one of them. So just be aware that uh, they can smell them even when they're planted. So put something over the top to keep the squirrels away. Once they're up and have a stem and some leaves on them, the squirrel's probably going to leave them alone.
15: Okay, sounds good. Um, I have some potted native hibiscus and somebody about a week ago gave me two fig trees that are you know 18 24 inches tall Mm -hmm. i was going to over over overwinter them you know outside take them into the garage when it's cold but for the for the native hibiscus and the fig when do i need to move them inside temperature wise
1: um freezing weather frost will damage the you know will damage both of them uh the hardy hibiscus typically freeze to the ground so uh, I guess if you want to give them as much strength as possible, they'll need to come in before it drops to freezing. Frost will damage the leaves on both of them. I'm not nearly as concerned about the fig as I am about the hibiscus. In fact, I wouldn't hesitate to go ahead and plant the fig if you want to do that and mulch it heavily. But uh, the hardy hibiscus, if you if you want to keep them green as long as possible, just any time we're going to be in the 30s, any frost is possible, um, for the frost, you can just get them under cover uh, for freezing, try to bring them in about 30 degrees.
15: Okay, no problem. And last quick one, any um, uh, bay laurel from cuttings, any mm-hmm. need to put on a propagating mat?
1: Bay laurel is notoriously slow to root, and especially as we get into cooler weather, yes, your propagating mat will make all the difference in the world. Uh, if you were doing this in May, probably wouldn't be necessary, but... Uh, October, November, yeah, put your put your trays, your pots, whatever. And that's the reason that when I'm propagating bay laurel, I'm usually going to have a tray or pot of perlite, and I'm going to have 40 or 50 cuttings in there rather than just try to put an individual cutting in an individual pot. Easier to root a whole bunch of them and then separate them out in pots. But even as young plants, they will develop a much better root system much more quickly with bottom heat. So, uh, yeah, propagating mat will sure help you
15: perfect have a great day thank you You do the same sir
1: well great questions i appreciate the call robert thank you goodbye uh glenn is next in line good morning glenn
16: hey bob good morning how are you
1: i'm good how about yourself today
16: i'm doing good trying to get ready for this little cold snap that's gonna come through (laughs) that's what they say (laughs) tonight yep yep um quick i got I got two questions for you one the first one is on uh sun gold cherry tomatoes. Uh-huh. I had uh, two or three plants this spring that just did great extremely prolific produced tons of tomatoes and I saved uh some of the seeds and and uh planted them for a fall fall planting and uh planted three of the seedlings and two of them pretty much just died at about uh, a foot high the Mm -hmm. other one is still going uh, but it only got to be about two feet high you know it's had blooms Mm -hmm. for well over a month and i just i just now looked at it it's just now putting on a few little tomatoes which of course they're not going to make it but you know i had it i had it planted in the same area as some celebrities and and a few other, Arkansas traveler and a few others. Is there a is there a chance that maybe it hybridized into something that just wasn't going to be successful?
1: Um, unlikely. Uh, the place we get most cross pollination is where we have bees, you know, carrying pollen from one flower to another. Tomatoes are wind pollinated. Um, In fact, where people grow them inside, what you do is you go along and give them a good shake every now and then to get them pollinated. So the weather just worked against you. Most everybody I know had wonderful tomato success in the spring, horrible tomato success in the summer and into the fall. Um, Did you save any of the seed?
16: Yeah, I've still got plenty of seeds for next spring
1: yeah well, keep put them in a if they're dry, put them in an envelope put them in a seal them up in a mason jar or something, stick them in the back of your refrigerator, keep them from dehydrating and uh you'll have plenty of seed to start next spring but uh, weather worked against you um uh, it it wasn't anything you did or failed to do, but just we the the compensation point was so high. Um just virtually nobody got very good production out of cherries or any other tomatoes now if you want to protect them through this cold tonight or through this week uh, there's a chance it looks like it's going to warm up again who knows when the next big cold front will come through um, they may set some fruit and you you know may get fruit later on in the fall but uh, they're almost certainly going to need some protection, not necessarily tonight, but about uh, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, looks like, when it's going to be our coldest temperatures.
16: Yeah, I'm going to do that for my pepper plants. They're just absolutely loaded right now. Oh, yeah. I'm going to try to overwinter three or four of those, but I don't want to do it just yet. So mm-hmm. I'm gonna, I've got some, I've got some and but not enough to, you know, it's, <laughs> it's one big one big cloth, so that oh happy. yeah, it may, it may go the way. But my other question is, I've got a, uh, I was given a brown turkey pig from Fanix uh-huh. back right, in, oh probably about April, uh huh, and I, I, I up potted it uh a little while back to a three gallon pot. It's putting on new growth, but uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna move it to the greenhouse for mm-hmm. you know these these colder days, but. At at what point would I up pot it again, or just go ahead and put it in the ground?
1: I I wouldn't worry about uh, moving it to bigger containers. Figs Figs prefer to be root bound. It's a big misconception that keeping you know continuing to put things in bigger and bigger pots. Uh, plants are not really happy about. The happiest plant out there when it comes to houseplants, when it comes to things like figs, are going to be things that are fairly root-bound. So don't be in any rush. As far as putting it in the ground, do it any time you like. If you do it during the cool months, I'd mulch it like six inches deep around the trunk because uh, the kind of winters we've had two of the last three years, my figs are pretty much frozen back to the ground, but then they come right back out the next spring. So plant it when plant it when you want to plant it. Keep it in a pot as long as you like. But as long as it's in the pot, it really needs to come in when we have severe cold, because if that pot freezes solid all the way through, it would be a lot more damaging than if the plant's in the ground and then freezes back. Uh, just, you know, elevate it up in a pot, uh, that that whole soil mass can just freeze solid, and that that's about the only thing I've ever seen that would kill a fig. Okay, all
16: right, very good. Well, that that uh, I'll, I've got some old sheets I can put over that cherry tomato. I may try to double or triple here.
1: <laughs> just tie them down because okay. that 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 wind's going to be ferocious when the cold front blows in. But you know, this is typical for late October. I know there are a lot of Deer hunters out there just really, really happy to see this. But um, uh, this is this is what frequently happens. But then frequently we could warm up and have six more weeks of real nice weather. So uh, uh, next week's probably going to be a whole different story. And I think you'll be glad you protected your tomato and your peppers as well.
16: Yeah, yeah. It looks like this weekend's back up into the 70s. So <laughs> anyway, welcome,
1: welcome uh, to Texas.
16: Yeah, we'll sleep with the windows open for a couple of nights
1: amen to that and put another blanket on the bed it's uh uh, it's just it's good sleeping weather unfortunately that cold wind makes it a little less pleasant to be outside but that'll pass through pretty quickly so get out and enjoy your gardening and uh holler at me when uh, you have those questions
16: appreciate the help have a good day
1: you do the same glenn thank you sir uh tana hang on just a second we're going to get our last break of the hour in here and you'll be up first after that
2: South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. let talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071.
1: All right, back to gardening. Uh, for the first time in a while, we've got some open lines. So if you're getting a busy signal and you'd like to get through, be a good time to dial. Do you know that number? 210 599 5555. And uh believe Taina is the next one. Up. In fact, I think Taina is the only one waiting, so probably get through pretty quickly. Good morning, Taina.
9: Hey, good morning, sir. Good morning. Okay, I'm, I'm going to have you revisit my bur oak with me.
16: Okay. Is,
9: I had told you it had, had absolutely no moisture probably for at least six to eight years, mm-hmm. and... um. Because the soil out there is so horribly bad, I <laughs> I raided the piggy bank, and I mulched it with pure compost.
1: That's a good thing to do. I,
9: I have also used the Medina granular fertilizer mm-hmm. and uh, spread some asamide around it. And um, I have been deep watering it once a month. Uh, should I continue to do that through the winter?
1: Once the leaves are off of it, and burr oaks, of course, are normally 100% deciduous, you can probably cut your watering in about half uh, your water okay. scheduling. Use the same amount of water, but uh, without leaves, of course, the plant's not transpiring the moisture, so it's not it's not using as much moisture, and you certainly don't want to keep the soil too wet around it. So. Um I if you've been doing it once a month, you can probably being a big established tree, you can probably back off to every six weeks or even every every couple of months. How is the tree looking right now?
9: Oh, there's it looks dead.
1: Okay. Um every time you think about it, pick up the hose and spray up and down the trunk if you can. Um that will always help. And when you do water Little Super Thrive, little Garrett juice, that sort of thing will help there. But uh this this keeping the bark moist until it decides to put some more leaves on is gonna be its its best chance to come back strong next spring.
9: Well, yeah, I've used the Super Thrive <clears throat> and I use the Medina. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh Okay, I will do that. Now it's got heavy bark on it and you mm-hmm. said that uh spraying water on a tree with heavy bark
1: um yeah try to not- just spray as high as you can spray out oh, on right. the uh you know out on the limbs anywhere and and you're a good listener uh anywhere that you have smooth bark is going to take up the moisture much better than where you have rough bark but you know even a big old mature bur oak that's you know 20 inches in diameter out toward the end of the limbs you're going to have smooth bark which will love that little bit of moisture in fact even these light rains have certainly helped in that respect so yeah don't don't worry about spraying the trunk but spray in the upper part and where you have smooth bark that's where you want to get your moisture
9: okay that takes care of the burrow now then um oh i guess at least a hundred uh to two hundred feet out there is an absolutely gorgeous grove of um, sumac mm-hmm. that I love because it turns such gorgeous oh, yeah. of dark and yellow.
1: Yeah, the <laughs> flame sumac is appropriately named. It is, uh, it, you know, it's just a flaming burst of color out there most falls. Color, at least on the ones I see, is not quite as good this year with the drought, but uh, it's one of our best native plants for color, no doubt about that.
9: Unfortunately, they are erecting a an equipment shed out there, uh-huh. so I'm going to lose those. In other words, they're still going to be out there, except I won't be able to see them. So <laughs> okay. What, so what kind of, oh, I guess an understory tree would you recommend that would give the brightest – fall color that i could plant
1: in the front yard which is a small one yeah um you could always collect some seed out of the sumac and plant some own in your some of your own uh the sumac is one of the few small things it's really going to have really good red color now as far as bright yellows uh the um uh oh gosh what i'm trying to say the uh uh, uh my name just won't come to me. The, uh, uh, grows in the shade, uh, the Mexican Buckeye. That's what I'm trying to think of. Mexican Buckeye is going to have beautiful yellow foliage. Uh, some of your crepe myrtles, especially the crepe myrtles with, uh, the darker colored flowers, they are going to have, they'll have some red and, you know, orange in with the yellow leaves, uh, but they have great fall color. I don't think you want to plant any but poison ivy has real red uh color. But there is a very not closely related but very similar plant uh that they uh that uh, they call Boston Ivy, Ampelopsis. and then we have a native plant called Virginia Creeper that is very similar, very closely related. Uh, that are vines, but and they're deciduous vines, but they have wonderful red color. If you want something that will grow up on a fence or something like that, I would certainly look at Virginia creeper or Bo- Boston ivy as being, you know, real good choices for brightly colored leaves. Um, oh, beyond that, if you want an evergreen shrub, nandina, the standard nandina, Uh, The leaves turn, the more sun they get, the more colorful they get, but those leaves will turn a very orangey-red color in the winter. They don't fall off, but uh, in cold weather, the leaves turn brilliantly colored, and then they turn back to green again in the spring, but uh, they don't do that well in the shade. But out in the sun, um, those will be quite, quite showy. Another fun plant to have is American Beautyberry. And it's not that its leaves are so colorful, but it blooms little clusters of pink flowers in the spring. Then in the summer months, you have green berries on the stem. Then in the fall, those leaves drop off. They turn yellow and then drop off. And then the stems of the plant are just totally covered with these huge clusters of brilliant purple berries. There's also a white form that's much less common. But the standard American beauty berry is very colorful from the berries that form on the stem, they last most of the winter. Toward the end of the winter, the berries ferment, and then the birds will eat them. Uh, but they're a very showy, again, a native plant. They grow wild around my ranch. But uh, uh, they're a, a colorful fall plant, but it's the berries rather than the leaves that are colorful.
9: Well, this is out in absolute full, full sun. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, the Mexican buckeye and the American beautyberry will grow in shade as well. Uh, But the sumacs, the crepe myrtles, the nandinas, they'll be very happy in the very full sun. The others will tolerate it. The nandinas and crepe myrtles and all will love it.
9: Okay. Um, I think at one time uh, some kind of a yacht pond that made a tree-like formation that... it would drop its leaves and it would have red
1: berries in the fall. Well, that is what they—that's uh, what they call the deciduous yopon, or a lot of people call them a possumhaw ho- holly. It's ilex decidua. Looks just like a yopon, but the difference is that uh, that it does drop all its leaves, so it exposes uh, their berries. May be orange or red, depending on the variety. Probably the most common one is one that's called Warren Red, but uh, they are very showy in the mid fall. Again. By midwinter, those berries start to ferment, and then the animals will eat them. But uh, uh, that's that's a good one for berries. Even your standard upright yopalm produces berries, but they don't show up as much as a possum haw because the leaves stay on the plant.
9: Okay, and uh, I wasn't riding quite fast enough, uh, but I think I got most of what you've told me, and I appreciate it very much.
1: Well, as always, it's a pleasure to talk to you, and, uh, um, let me see here real quickly. Uh, I don't think I have time to take another caller, so let me just, uh, run through those uh, with you one more time, and then E.T. and Jonathan, you guys will be up, uh, right after this news break. But, um, uh, four color and foliage. Uh, the Nandinas, uh, either the compact or the full upright, uh, super easy to grow, super colorful. Uh, four leaves that are on the deciduous thing in the shade, Mexican Buckeye. Uh, in the sun, crepe myrtles and, um, and the uh, flame sumac are going to be really colorful. Uh, in the shade, the American Beautyberry will produce very colorful purple berries. Uh, but once again, you're looking for the berries rather than for the foliage there. And given a little time, I can sure I can think of others, but those will get you off to a good start. Okay, Dana, uh, Dana, we thank you very much uh, again. About sixty seconds till news. Let me go over next weekend. Uh, next Saturday, two fun things going. The uh, Nature Fest uh, down at uh, Mission County Park that the Green Spaces Alliance has put on. And then we've got, uh, during the morning, we've got the Castle Lake Fire Department up toward Bandera. They're having their annual turkey shoot and fundraiser. Then in the evening, the Candelia Volunteer Fire Department is having their big Mexican food supper. And, boy, that's always a fun event. That's where I will be next Saturday evening. And i uh, love for you to come out and join me. They've got uh, silent auction, live auction. Uh, raffles uh some interesting firearms and things and some of those raffles this year for you guys and gals that love to shoot then the following weekend the 11th uh you've got the hangar fest which is uh gosh just a dinner and dance among some vintage aircraft that takes place up in uh uh, San Marcos, uh, Google Hangar Fest to find out more of that. And then I believe the the uh, Sisterdale Fire Department has their get-together. This is KTSA Radio.
2: South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now, 210-599-5555.
1: And we do have a couple of open lines, so uh, you'll get through right now if you give a call. The first two callers are going to be E.T. and Jonathan, and uh, you know the number. You just heard it, 210-599-5555. So let's get on back to the phone lines. E.T.'s first in line. Good morning, E.T. Morning, Bob. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. Hoping for another good rain tonight. Oh, yeah.
14: Talk about rain. I have rain lilies that pop up. Can yes, I sir. Can I set them up and put them in the containers?
1: Um, you mean harvest the flowers or dig the plants?
14: Yeah, just harvest the flowers, you know, the plants, whatever, just, you know, just throw them in some old container and maybe later on they'll they'll grow in the container.
1: No, you can't dig them this time of year. You can certainly... Dig and divide and replant those rain lilies, but uh, right now they're blooming. The next thing they do is put on their foliage, and that's how they rebuild that bulb for next year's flowers. If you dig them up and transplant them now, a lot of them probably just rot on you. But just you know, make a little stake or make a little flag or something you can stick in the ground so you can remember where they are. Um, They're gonna the the next thing they're gonna do, like I say, they're gonna put up lots of leaves. The red ones put up even more than the white ones do, but they're going to put up a lot of leaves and you know sunlight on those leaves is what makes the bulbs bigger and bigger in the case of the red ones it what makes them divide and produce additional bulbs but just put something out there so you'll know where those bulbs are then after the foliage has turned brown which will be sometime next summer if you want to dig and divide them and replant whether they're in buckets or in the ground or whether you share them with your friends uh, next summer will be the time to do that
14: okay great okay garlic uh, is it a good time to plant garlic now
1: best time to plant garlic uh you can plant it any time but October uh and on into november that those are the best months of the year to plant it so yeah, get that in the ground as soon as you can
14: okay, like on a garlic, you know, like go to my local grocery store and buy garlic clothes, you know yep. it. does it matter which way Is the soil is the garlic standing up side away point
1: well. You know, when you break your pot up into individual cloves, uh the upper end will be kind of pointed. I think it's probably better to put them like that. Now, some of the ones you get at the big grocery stores have probably been treated to keep them from sprouting. If you have a uh, Whole Foods or a Sprouts or a Natural Grocer or somebody like that in your neighborhood, that's where you're going to get the uh, get your garlic, it's going to do best for you. Of course, a good nursery is probably selling it by the pound right now. But if you want to get garlic at a grocery store, try to either get organic or go to one of the natural food stores that will give you good, viable garlic to plant.
14: Okay. And I grow my tomatoes and my peppers in large containers. Uh It was a dismal year besides besides the drought and the critters eating everything. Uh how would I prepare the soil for next year you know cuz I got a leaf a bunch of leaves that blew up on the on the patio can mm-hmm. I mix all them leaves and everything all together and throw some uh some plant food in there
1: you would be best if you want to put them just on the top of the soil in your containers. You don't want to mix them into the soil because then they steal nutrients as the leaves start to break down. But if you want to create a little compost pile somewhere near your porch and mix a little bit of fertilizer in with that, that'll help them break down more quickly. But the leaves, Mother Nature didn't intend for them to be blended into the soil immediately. That's why they're dropped on the surface and then they gradually get worked in as they decompose. So until they're decomposed, don't work them in. Just leave them on the surface as a mulch or create your own compost pile where they'll decompose more quickly.
14: Okay, i got a bag of cat food that even the feral and the barn cats won't eat. Uh, can I? Uh, is there any nutritious value for plants in the cat food?
1: Oh, there's a little bit. You know, it's organic material for sure. Uh, i just, you know, throw it out. There probably probably uh, some wild animals out there that'll eat it or birds that'll eat it and uh oh, I got, what
14: I got, I got plenty of them
1: <laughs> yeah they would enjoy it but if you if you want to mix it in the soil yeah it's got some nutritional value for plants as well only okay. problem with putting it in the soil is you may have squirrels and raccoons and things that like that come around that want to try to dig it up so oh, i've always I'm, a little i've
14: already got them <laughs> i've already got them <laughs>
1: well they'll they'll dig things up and make a mess of it so um uh, unless you have a way to screen them out, I'd, I'd probably tend to leave it on the surface and uh, just let whatever critters want to eat it if the cats don't.
14: Okay. And one last thing. I know you do not like weed block. If you're using weed block, it would it be okay just put spread newspaper on the ground, you know, and then cover that up?
1: Oh, lot's better than weed block. Yeah, newspaper or cardboard, either one. Not the wax cardboard, but the paper cardboard or newspaper. That's a very effective weed block, and then it breaks down and actually adds organic material to the soil. So that's a very acceptable practice. Put it on several layers thick because, you know, just a sheet or two will will go away almost instantly. But uh, you don't want to put it on as thick as the Sunday paper. But, yeah, a few layers of newspaper or, like I say, cardboard, either one, make a great weed block.
14: Yeah, because like I say, I got plenty of you know old newspaper. I always get the weekend newspaper, and uh-huh. I'm just thinking, maybe if I could take that newspaper, crumple up in little things, throw it in a container, maybe mix some dirt with. It, I don't know if that would help anything or not.
1: I tend to use it more in the garden um, than other places, or you know, if you ever a lot of uh, people that are doing the raising worms, what we call vermiculture, uh, that's what they feed their worms is shredded up newspaper.
14: Okay. Okay, great. Bob, thank you very much. And, well, I mean, I, after tomorrow, I'll probably be ready for summertime
15: again.
1: <laughs> well, let's have some nice, cool weather for a while, and uh, but not too cold. And then uh, then we'll just enjoy the next few months. And then we'll be back to a Texas summer once again. Good to talk to you, E.T. And uh, let's see, Don, let's go ahead and bring up Jonathan. Good morning, Jonathan. Hey, how are you doing today? Off to a good start. It's a beautiful morning out there, and uh, uh, it's going to be a good day to be outside.
17: Yeah, we're outside cutting trees, as a matter of fact. Good. So a couple questions. One... Um, I know, um, the, uh, yeah, peat moss is good for a soil amendment for potting and, and even maybe
1: even the garden. Have no, sir, ever, I don't, I don't, I don't like peat moss at all. Peat moss is antimicrobial peat moss. I know, you know, for years people have mixed it in with the soil, but, uh, um, it destroys a lot of good stuff in the soil, and it uh, tends to break down. If you want to mix something anywhere, a mix calls for peat moss. I prefer to use a coconut fiber that's called core, C-O-I-R. It's much more renewable, much longer lasting, and much more friendly to the microbes in the soil. For for, for potting soil for you yeah yeah great stuff for potting soil.
17: Okay, so what, what I'm asking is. Have you ever tried using the uh, pine shavings, like a uh, real fine pine shavings, turns to dust? It's not a it's not a flake or or a peel. It's a it's actually a, a bedding. It's, it just turns like sawdust. It's really fine.
1: Yeah, the problem with that is, and a lot of commercials, you know, work all sorts of pine shavings and larger. That steals nutrient from the soil because the things that break down the pine shavings, uh, the microbes that break it down require a source of nitrogen. When it's up on the surface of the soil, uh, they take the nitrogen from the atmosphere because, you know, there's more nitrogen in there than there is oxygen. But when you mix those into a potting soil or into a garden soil, you have to use extra fertilizer because the microbes will steal the nutrients that you're putting in for your plants uh, to break down the pine shavings. Pine shavings, much better to let them at least start breaking down uh, up on the surface where they can use the nitrogen from the air and then mix them into your soils.
17: I did notice it, it, holds, it holds moisture well, though. The pine shavings seem to hold moisture very well.
1: Well, it holds moisture, but it still maintains uh, plenty of air in the soil, which is very important. But, uh, again, until they start breaking down, if you're mixing them in with your soil, you're going to have to fertilize about three times as often.
17: Okay. I uh, Next question was this. Um, I've got some cuttings that I've started. Uh, I've got some kidney wood, I've got some uh, uh, Texas persimmon, and I've got some yaupon holly. And uh-huh. I started them all uh, with lids uh, in the shade, very moist soil, took the lid a couple times a day, let it air circulate. Um, it's been about two weeks today. Uh, I, I mixed a little bit of uh, limestone basin in with the um, um, uh, kidney wood, because I know it likes calciferous soil, so... I'm thinking about uncovering them now. Do I, You think I need to put them in the greenhouse or let them stay out in this cool weather? Cuz I.
5: Know oh,
1: anytime it's going to get close to freezing or frost, I would definitely move them into the greenhouse. Uh, and once they're well established, you know they'll take a good deal of cold. But as tender young plants like that, uh, any time temperatures going to get below about 40 degrees, I'd put them in the greenhouse. Glad you have a greenhouse to put them into.
17: Right, right. I, yeah, so yeah, I've got those started about two weeks. I'm going to cover them probably tonight and put them in the greenhouse then. Yeah. And uh, the other thing was the um uh, one suggestion. I know I listen to you all the time, and sometimes I catch pieces here and there if I'm getting in and out of the truck or whatnot, or I come in a bad spot and lose connection. Right. And, and uh, sometimes you giving advice. I don't know what plant you're talking about. I don't know if you <laughs> could think about maybe what you're talking about more more than you know once you get into the explanation. Yeah. Okay. Sometimes i
1: like, now what are you talking about? <laughs> well, I, I try to repeat it a time or two because you're not the only one that that tells me they didn't get to write it down fast enough. I just I have to concentrate on some of these questions uh, a little too much, and sometimes I don't remember to repeat. But I'll I'll try to do a better job of it for you.
17: No, you're great, man. I appreciate it. I just, You know, sometimes I, I listen to you and every,
1: every weekend. I'm like, man, what you talking about? <laughs> Thanks a lot, man. You're thing. welcome, Jonathan. You're welcome. Thanks for the call this morning. Uh, Don, let's get a break in here, and we'll be back to take some more phone calls. we got some open lines. Grab one if you like.
2: 210-599-5555. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster, News Talk 550 KTSA, and FM 1071.
1: All right, let's get back to gardening. Looks like it should be Rudy, WD, and Megan. Rudy is first in line. Good morning, Rudy.
18: Good morning. How are you, sir?
1: I'm good. It's a beautiful morning out there. Sitting here looking out at a pretty garden, and uh, uh, it's it's just a great day. It's going to be a little different tomorrow, but today's going to be a good day to be out in it.
18: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I uh, have, have a couple of questions. I just okay. lost my mom a couple of months ago. Sorry. And, uh, I, planted, I planted some of those uh, sheets of grass, the carpet grass, for uh-huh. of her grave site. Yes. And, of course, you know, uh, they don't have the good black dirt or whatever. So it was just that gray dirt or whatever. So I thought maybe it would catch. Uh, maybe about a third of it caught. I was watering it, uh, putting mm-hmm. some kind of fertilizer. One of the guys at the store told me to put that 1313, whatever. So I've been putting that and watering it like every other day, and uh, other other locations. I mean, they have immaculate grass. A carpet. Garden. Sure. What am I sure. What what, what, are, what do you suggest I do?
1: Well, if I were going to do one thing, I'd get a bag of compost and just uh, you know put a, a thin layer of compost. And by thin, I mean a quarter of an inch to a half an inch. That's going to do more to help. Both help that grass get some roots down, which will, the top's not going to grow a whole lot more this fall if it does stay cool, but the roots will continue to grow all winter long. Um, next time you need to fertilize, which will be in the spring, don't use the 13, 13, 13. Get a good organic product and don't pay any attention to the numbers because 13, 13, 13. The problem is that the form that that fertilizer is in, your, your plants, your grass is only going to get about 10% of it. The other 90% are going to wash away and cause pollution. So you're actually getting 1.3% nitrogen. If you get a organic fertilizer like, well, say Medina that has 4% nitrogen your plants even though the numbers are lower actually get four times as much fertilizer they get all 4 all 4%. So switch to organic next time but I don't think you'll need to do that till probably February or so. But for right now continue to water through the winter months um as it gets cooler, uh, you won't have to water as often. But if there's one thing that's really going to help that grass do beautifully now and really come out nice in the spring, it'd be just a thin layer of compost. Uh, you can get a really top quality compost like Nature's Creation, or you can get a little lower priced compost like the Black Cow. But, uh, there's no such thing as bad compost. Some's better than others, but, uh, uh, that will help that cover and turn turn the family plot into a into something <laughs> the once around it will pale by comparison with what you get. So compost is all I'm going to tell you to really do right now.
18: Okay, is am I going to is all this carpet grass going to uh, am I going to lose it for the winter?
1: No, well, it all depends on how cold it gets. Uh, St. Augustine, or carpet grass if you prefer, doesn't normally brown out until it gets down to about 20 degrees. Pretend we get a really heavy frost. Bermuda and Zoysia, yeah, that's going to brown out no matter what. But uh, if we get a severe winter, yes, your carpet grass, the, the blades will turn brown. The runners should remain green. But in a, and I never use the word normal, in a typical Texas winter, uh, many times St. Augustine stays green all winter.
18: Okay, very good. Okay, I'll just want to... Okay, thank you very much, sir. I appreciate it.
1: And if you want to, is uh, is the family plot in an area they mow regularly or or not? I was going to suggest it uh, be a great tribute to maybe sprinkle a little wildflower seed around and uh, get some pretty flowers around the gravesite before mowing season starts next year.
18: Well, it was all dirt. There, uh uh-huh. Certain areas that have there's certain areas that have real nice grass and stuff, but this particular area is nothing but dirt.
1: Well, uh, along with your grass, uh next time you buy a nursery, grab just a little package of wildflower seed and uh uh spread it around and uh be something really pretty to look at next spring. Yes,
18: yeah, sir. That's a good idea too. Okay, thank you very much. I really do appreciate
1: it. Well, it's my pleasure. My pleasure. Sorry for your loss, but uh make I'm sure you have lots of lots of memories to uh keep forever. Um, uh, Moving along, next caller is going to be WD. Good morning, WD. Don, do we have WD there? Uh, Okay, Don, are you hearing me? Okay, move on to Megan. Uh, Good morning, Megan.
19: Good morning. How are you today?
1: I'm well. It's a beautiful morning out there.
19: Yes, it is. Um, I have some uh, succulents. Uh, I have desert roses, crown of thorns, and Buddha's belly. Okay. Uh, I've had the desert roses for a few years. I still struggle with doing the right thing by them, but uh, um, do I? I know I've already brought them in because of the wind. Good. I have a lot of yep. wind out here. So, are the desert roses, um, they just go dormant once you bring them in? I mean, you stop walking, bring them. Totally, no, or once to no a you, little
1: bit, or? no you you should you should try to keep them growing because they can bloom almost year round, and uh they they never really go truly dormant they are very cold sensitive i 'm glad you brought them in because they don 't like it below sixty degrees they want it warm and bright bright. Keep them in the sunniest window you can. Water them whenever that soil's dry about a knuckle deep, and they do some of their best blooming in the winter if you give them moisture. So no, we don't we we don't want to let those guys to go dormant. Amaryllis and there's some bulbs and things that have a true resting period, but desert rose should be pretty much year-round flowers for you.
19: Okay, because I tell you what, I did not have uh, flowers this summer, and I thought maybe. I was thinking they were getting enough sun with the morning sun and the afternoon sun on my porch, but uh, do you think that was? I don't know why I didn't get blooming. I got lots of blooms.
1: Were they were they in bloom when you got them, or these plants that have never bloomed for you?
19: No, they have. Well, some of them have never bloomed. I probably have about a dozen of them I've collected over the last four or five years. Well
1: they they like all plants have to go through a maturing process before they're capable of uh, forming and of course blooming is you know to to form seed is why mother nature put flowers on things but many varieties of plants including uh, some of the things like Desert Rose, they have to be sometimes three, maybe even four years old before they are physiologically mature enough to flower. So yeah, it may not them. be anything you are failing to do. It may just be real young plants that... Uh, and and they can be quite large. It's kind of like if you look out in my pasture, I may have a 600-pound bull calf, but he's not ready to not ready to do right. his job as a bull until he matures. And your desert rose is the same way. It takes a certain number of years. Now, some things much longer than orchid than others. Uh, some types of orchids may take 12 or 15 years before they're mature enough to bloom, so it, it takes a patient person to grow things from seed, but uh, I, I suspect that yours were just young plants. Continue to give them as much bright light as possible and keep them warm. I mean, they don't like it warm. They like it hot, and uh, they they start to suffer when the temperature gets into the 50s. Now, crown-of-thorns, on the other hand, they can go down to 40 degrees before it really has to come in, uh, but the big mistake people make with crown-of-thorns is they treat it like a desert plant and let it get too dry. If you'll treat crown of thorns like a house plant and water it whenever it's dry on the surface, it can bloom almost year-round for you. Otherwise, it'll just have sparse flowering. But uh, crown of thorns a wonderful flowering plant, but it does not like to dry out completely.
14: Okay.
19: And uh, uh, I've never had a Buddha's belly. I bought one back at the Botanical Center Succulent Show in April, and uh-huh. it has just thrived on my porch. It's just beautiful. But, um how do I treat it? I know it needs to come in, but at what temperature and how do I treat it inside? Oh, in it it
1: can it can go all the way down, just almost to freezing. Uh, if you get frost on it, it'll damage the leaves to some extent. But uh, thirty five is not going to bother your bougainvillea. So uh, the main thing about bougainvillea no, is it's keep
19: a, it's a Buddha's belly.
1: Oh, a Buddha's belly. I'm sorry, I thought you said yeah. bougainvillea. No, it yeah. it needs to be protected whenever the uh, temperature gets anywhere near freezing. And uh, it, yeah, it's actually, uh, oh, I'm trying to remember. I think it's an erythrina if I remember properly. But uh, treat it like a succulent. Let it get dry about an inch deep between waterings. Keep it in the sunniest place you can. But it, again, wants to be protected below about 40 degrees.
19: Okay. So it should, in my house, it should keep its leaves and flowers just like the desert roses if I keep it properly. It it also. should. Yes, it should. Okay. It's actually, and, I think, uh, a
1: Jatropha is what it is. Yeah, go ahead.
14: Yeah.
19: Yes. I think I have misunderstood you in the past. I heard you tell somebody earlier that, if I, I want to make clear on this, um, on the trees, because I had the guys you recommended come out and do the air spading on all my trees this past uh-huh. spring. And um, so is that correct that I heard you say you can put two to three inches of mulch? Of course, not put the dirt back over it for the winter. and the, Yeah,
1: you oh, mulch mulch is fine uh i I like mulch over the roots year round now that trunk flare uh right the root flare right at the base of the trunk that wants air circulating around it uh on something that like that might freeze like a fig tree, in that case i 'm going to pile the mulch up around it in the winter months just to keep it from freezing. I do the same thing with a Mexican olive I do the same thing with some of these things we grow that really aren 't completely cold hardy and then i 'm going to wash that mulch away and you know when when the weather warms up. Uh, but your trees and things, your your oaks, your elms, things like that, uh, you don't want to keep the mulch up against the trunk. But out over the roots, that uh, mulch should stay there year-round.
19: Oh, okay, okay. And um, how low can the temperature for these sweet kumquats and key limes go? They are in pots.
1: Yeah. I uh, <laughs> kumquats are more cold hardy kumquats can probably go to 25 or maybe even a little colder without any problem uh key lime gets hurt at 32 it's it's a real wimp when it comes to cold so uh it it needs to probably it needs to come in tonight uh your kumquats and your satsumas are more cold hardy citrus and uh they'll go down in the middle 20s without damage
19: okay well thank you very much
1: Well, you're certainly welcome, Megan. I do appreciate the call. And, uh, Don, guess we better get a break in here. We'll be back with more.
2: South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071.
1: All right. Back to gardening on a nice Sunday morning. <laughs> almost Halloween. Almost, uh, let's see. Next weekend, I believe they changed the time on us. And, uh, I don't like that because it takes away my evening daylight, but that's a whole nother subject. Uh, remember next weekend, fun stuff going on. We've got, uh, Saturday morning, the Nature Fest down at uh, Mission County Park that uh, Green Spaces Alliance puts on as good family activity, uh, go to Green Spaces Alliance and you can find, or probably go to Nature Fest and you can find out all about that. Uh, In the morning, the Castle Lake Volunteer Fire Department, uh, up there between uh, Pipe Creek and Bandera, they're having their annual turkey shoot. No, they're not actually shooting turkeys, maybe paper turkeys, but a great fundraising event. And next Saturday night, where I will be, is the uh, Kennedy Volunteer Fire Department's uh, annual Mexican Food Supper. Good food, good fun. Oh gosh, live auction, silent auction, uh raffles. Um lots lots of good things going on and then the following Saturday That'll be the 11th of November. Then we're looking at the hangar fest that the Commemorative Air Force puts on up at their base in New, in, uh, in San Marcos. And then that evening, I understand, haven't heard officially, but I think that's when Sisterdale's doing their volunteer fire department dinner as well. So anyway, some fun things to get out and support. Right now, it's back to the phone lines. Uh, Mark's first, then it'll be Joe. Good morning, Mark.
20: Good morning, Bob. How are you? Good
1: morning, doing? sir. Off to a good start. Yep.
20: I have a uh, majestic oak. Well, two of them. The uh, leaves are turning brown. because They're not quite there between a brown and a green, but they're homogeneous. They're not. It's not discolored uh, unevenly. Uh-huh. Uh, the leaves are staying on the tree. I did notice that there was one large branch that fell in a windstorm not too long ago that I uh, didn't see, so I did not cover that. I don't think it's oak wilt, but is there anything else I need to do or watch out for or? Uh,
1: how long are these how long are, are these big old mature trees? you have an idea yeah, when they were right. planted?
20: Oh maybe they weren't they were never planted they were natural so okay, say okay. 50, eighty years
1: yeah they you're you're just looking at drought damage and we're seeing it okay. all over the hill country and uh you know mulching will help uh I think you know uh, where you have moisture. Uh, One thing we're doing with some of ours that are very important around the landscape is uh, putting down a little bit of straight mycorrhizal fungi. Uh, It's a powder that you can put down. But beyond that, it's just a tree like that. It's just almost hard to give it the kind of water it needs. Uh, If you've got a water source close by, I'd pick up the hose periodically and just spray over the canopy of the tree, let it absorb some moisture directly through the bark. Uh, but beyond that, I mean, I'd love to say deep water, but a tree like that, golly, it'd take thousands of gallons of water to really make much of a difference. Hopefully Mother Nature is going to, uh, provide us with a little bit more moisture. And as the weather cools down, which is getting ready to do, that's going to take a lot of the, what we call transpiration stress off the tree. Uh, so, at this point i I certainly wouldn't panic uh, a little If you want to add a little mycorrhizae, that would certainly help if you want to put a layer of compost over the root system, that would certainly help uh, a little bit of garret juice or something like that. Those are all things that you can do, but uh you're definitely not looking at oak wilt from the from the symptoms you're describing you're just looking okay. at drought damage.
20: Yeah, put some growing green down. I heard you talk about azomite. Would that be beneficial?
1: Oh, azomite's beneficial to everything, but uh, it's not going to make much difference uh, with with drought damage. But as far as having a complete micronutrient package, uh, it's the best product I've ever seen.
20: Okay. Okay. Anything else I could add? (laughs)
1: <laughs> add a prayer for more rain that's going to do more than anything but uh again you know if you if you want to go to the trouble putting a half inch layer of compost over as much of the root system as you can that's the most magical thing people can do to, whether it's trying to bring grass back whether it's to support trees or shrubs or anything else uh just a good manure compost i'm not a fan of biosolids compost but uh just a good manure-based compost. You'll never go wrong with that. It'll not only help your trees, it'll also give you the best grass anywhere in your yard.
20: All right, one last quick question. I have plumeria. They're about two years old. Do I need to bring them in tonight?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Plumeria aren't going to freeze unless it gets below freezing. Uh, but this many people still have beautiful flowers on those plume and, uh, they will. It's natural for them to drop their leaves in the winter, of course, but we don't need to spray it, uh, you know, speed it up any more than necessary. Once we get through this week, we're probably going to go back to some beautiful fall weather with the highs in the seventies, lows in the fifties, and we should have several more weeks to enjoy the flowers on the plume area.
20: All right, as always, appreciate your information, Bob.
1: And as always, I appreciate you taking the time to call, Mark. Get out and have a great Sunday. And, uh, Don, let's go ahead and talk to Joe. Good morning, Joe. Good
8: morning, Bob. Morning, sir. Uh, uh, it's uh, like so many others, my lawn took a real beating this this uh, summer. <laughs> Mine, too. So I, was wondering, <laughs> yeah. so I was wondering if you could give me any pointers uh I lost a lot of uh, a lot of
1: grass, so I got a lot of bare spots. Sure. Well, as I, was guys- just, as I was just telling Mark, you know, the best thing you could do for that lawn would be to spread like a quarter to half an inch of compost over the whole thing. That is going to be the single thing that brings lawns back to life better than anything else you could do. Now, it would be nice to fertilize, good granular fertilizer from Medina or Meister or Nature's Creation. In fact, the ideal thing will be to put down some fertilizer and then put the compost on top. But I'll be honest with you, if I was going to do one thing alone, it would be the compost. That's going to make more difference than anything else. Uh,
8: the fertilizer would help if you could do that too. But what about the uh, the bare spots? Uh, can I put some plugs in, or is it going to do any good to do that?
5: Or
1: This time of year, you yeah, this time of year, you're not going to really accomplish much. Uh, when spring comes, the surrounding grass, unless these bare spots are, you know, four or five feet in diameter, uh, the grass is going to grow back in. When your weather warms up, soil warms up, grass grows and spreads very, very quickly. If you want to have some green out there for the winter months, go to a nursery and get what we call perennial ryegrass, Uh My favorite variety is called Top Flight. I think uh, Douglas King Seed sells a good one called Greyhound, Uh, but these aren't really perennial. These are sort of a long-lasting ryegrass. It'll sprout and grow in about two weeks' time, and it'll be beautiful all the way up until next spring, uh, grow well all winter long. If you just want to have some green grass out there, it's going to die out when it gets really hot next summer, but uh, if you just want to make your yard look nicer, Uh, you can sprinkle some ryegrass seed in the bare spots. If you want to kind of overseed, you do it more lightly. Uh, but you can overseed it over your other grass and have a, have a beautiful green yard. If you go with the, uh, this, what they call perennial rye, it, doesn't grow real tall you probably won't have to mow it maybe a single maybe one time during the winter months now don't get the Oregon ryegrass that stuff's nasty you'll you'll have trouble keeping it looking nice but if you just want to have a nice green lawn for the winter get a little bit of uh, top flight or greyhound and uh, overseed the yard seed a little heavier in the bare spots and uh, you'll have the greenest lawn in the neighborhood Okay, will, will the uh, Saint Augustine overtake that uh, yeah.
8: spring or? Yeah, when oh, spring
1: when spring comes, the Saint Augustine will choke that out. It's going to die from the heat anyway. By the time we get to summertime, but uh, Saint Augustine, it won't keep won't keep the Saint Augustine from spreading back into the bare spots. Uh, but it, it it just you won't you'll have less mud and you'll have a nicer looking yard. But uh, whether you whether you go to that much trouble or not is totally up to you. But the compost, I, I would do over the whole area. That's the first thing I would do.
8: Okay, and uh and this ugly grass that I have now I keep I can't remember the name. What is the name of that ugly grass always wish... <laughs> Well
1: King Ranch blue stem is the ugly grass that's in my yard. Uh but there's no. some there's some winter oh, there are a bunch of different uh winter grasses. There's uh something called nut sedge. Some people call it nut grass, but there's just a lot of weeds growing up. My advice at this time of year is just mow them off. Uh it's you're not really going to accomplish a much by spraying any kind of herbicide or anything just mow them down low the worst of the grasses will die out when as soon as we start getting frost in the fall so uh, i just mow them off i wouldn't worry about doing more than that Okay, so then, uh, the, you,
8: you're saying that St. Augustine will, over, will, uh, will overcome this, come spring? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. 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 St. Augustine is the hardiest,
1: toughest grass in the world. St. Augustine will even choke out Bermuda grass if it's healthy. Um, so these weeds are just a temporary problem for you. You get your St. Augustine back in shape. Hopefully, we're not going to have the kind of drought we had this summer but uh, as spring comes on, as the soil warms up, and hopefully we get some good rainfall, uh, your St. Augustine is the strongest grass you can have in your yard. Okay. All right. So you
8: St. what what was the name of that the, the fertilizer again that you said?
1: Uh, for spring fertilizer, fertilizer uh, you, uh, Medina makes a good one they call Growing Green. Nature's Creation makes a good one they call Premium Lawn and Garden Food. Maestro Grow makes a good one called Texas Tea. Those are all three excellent fertilizers. Oh. Medina is probably going to be the easiest one to find. The growing green is probably going to be the easiest one for you to find, but uh, I'd be happy with any of those three.
8: Okay, well, let's spread some uh, some growing green. So, yep,
1: yeah, I yeah need to do that, that about every three months. Do it, uh, do it now if you haven't done it in the past couple of months, and then we'll do it again in February.
8: Okay, well, I was just concerned that uh, the Saint Augustine wouldn't be able to overcome the other ugly grass. Nope. No, it's,
1: as long as it gets some moisture and uh, some, good, uh, some good fertilizer, it will choke out all the ugly grass you've got. Okay. All right, Bob. That makes me feel a lot better. <laughs> okay, Joel, I'm glad you called. And, uh, Don, let's get our last break of the hour in, and then we'll talk to Josie and Darla. Late
13: last night Made of my mind Setting my alarm for 5.05 Combing full of coffee Rods in the truck Time to knock off a little tackle box dust 30 minute drive And walk down a hill To a little piece of water Where the world stands still And I still get hung up on that old tree throw oh, that Texas rig And show me A lot of life. life, life. When in line on the muddy river bank, we pick pickup trucks to Jesus. Through Red man and Bo'sheba's,
5: you always knew
13: how to listen just what to say. And that's what brought me out here today. Instead of standing at your stone, I'm sitting on your rock. Catching up with you at your fishing spy. I know there's better places I got a nice
1: boat at the house. floating out there, up well, what the oh Don I can sit here and listen to that music all day long that's another another winner you got for us my engineer mr. Don Cooper Stevens uh, always gives us a, a an outdoor song usually a fishing song for the last commercial Break of the show, and uh, you're right, Don, that's a, that's a special one, brings back some memories. Well, I guess we better talk a little more plants before the show is over, and Josie and Darla are my two callers. Josie's up first. Good morning, Josie.
11: Good morning, Bob. I'll, Good I'll morning. i will not to take up all your time so Darla has a chance to get in. Okay. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm in San Marcos, and uh-huh. I have got a couple of the most gorgeous yellow squash plants. Ah, uh-huh. I wish they'd get their act together, the female flowers and the male flowers
3: just don't
11: ever seem to sync up. But uh, it's supposed to get down to 35 later on this week. But my main, Mm -hmm. I don't think that's going to kill it. But mainly it's going to drop about 40 degrees in 12 hours.
1: And it's going to be windy, which is, you know, going to dehydrate. Uh, It's not going to hurt the squash, but if we get frost, it will very definitely damage the foliage, and that will pretty much stop the growth. So if it were mine, I would try to cover it. If you've got some insulate or some sort of floating road cover.
11: I thought i I, yeah, I do. I'd
1: I'd just drape it over the plant. I'd put a brick or a rock or something on each corner of it, and uh, that should get you through this cold spell and get you... You know, at least a little bit more time to ripen and mature some of that squash. But now it's the the insulate or whichever row cover you use. uh It does double duty. It'll keep the frost off and it'll keep the cold wind to a minimum. And that's what you're trying um, to do.
11: Yeah, yeah, that's kind of what I thought. I've also I've got a whole bunch of little late starts in four inch pots,
0: mm-hmm.
11: um, and I just I just finished my greenhouse, so I can move them in there. <laughs> You know, right. some of them, yeah, just in the nick of time. Some of them are, are are fairly frost tolerant, but you know, in four inch pots, I think they're they're real vulnerable. You know, some of its oh um,
1: yeah, yeah,
11: fragrant, fragrant mist flower and German chamomile and African blue basil. Um, anyway, I think I'll just park park all those. Yeah, in the, I in the I
1: body. would. Uh, African blue is by far the hardiest of the basils and chamomile and others they they don't really want a hard freeze but um i would move them in things like your squash it's going to be very important to give it the brightest sunlight possible so that the plant doesn't spread out too much that's inside in a greenhouse it just it wants to get leggy so keep it in the sunniest spots you can uh is your is your squash a bush form or is it a vining form um it's i
11: can't move the squash
1: Oh okay. Okay. Yeah. I thought it was yeah, still but but your your new seedlings uh if you have uh you could put them in a hanging basket if you want to do something like that but uh most everything you mentioned I definitely would bring inside. Um we'll talk in a week or two when we see where the weather's headed as to which can go still go in the ground this fall which ought to remain till spring but uh uh one thing about that greenhouse just be really good you have are really sure you have good air circulation. Uh, either yep. what we call an HAF fan, a horizontal airflow fan, or, in effect, a ceiling fan. The the downfall of most new greenhouse owners is they don't keep enough air circulation going, and as a result, they end up with some pretty severe insect problems in there. So it's almost impossible yeah, to have too much.
11: I've got a fan connected up to a thermostat, so yeah. uh, that, that should be pretty good. Um, on my... Uh, Let's see, back to the little four-inch pots. Um, Mm -hmm. Should I go ahead and stick my little Swiss chard in the ground or just wait until all this frigid
1: weather is... I'd wait until this cold spell passes. Uh, My forecast is showing that by the end of the week we're going to be back up to 50-degree nights and 70-degree days. Uh, Put your Swiss chard in the ground at that point, but definitely keep keep it inside through Thursday.
11: Yeah, they're just, you know, they're tiny little babies. Um let's see what do you lubricate pump seals with i mean i've got a uh pump up sprayer
1: any kind of oil it can be machine oil, it could be vegetable oil uh but any, oil. any kind of yeah any kind of oil will be good
11: uh all righty um I tuned in late, and you were having a fascinating conversation with somebody who was trying to get rid of something creating chambers underground yeah um. She wanted an aardvark.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were talking about cut ants and uh and yeah, I don't have time to redo that discussion, but I'm sure no, we'll no, do it know. again
11: what kind of I I couldn't figure
1: out what kind of creature yeah no leaf cutting ants which are which are really really a challenge and uh tell you Josie uh leave that fan on 24-7 fans in my greenhouse run all the time it's not something you really ought to be turning on and off don't have it necessarily blowing on the plants but uh um you you want that air moving all All the time in the greenhouse and And let's talk more next weekend. So let me get Darla in here with some time before the show's over. Good morning, Darla. Good morning.
5: Good morning.
9: I can't talk much, but I have a question. I have some basil planted in a molasses tub. and, uh-huh. up, and down, up and down the stems are a brown bee-like insect, all clustered up on the stem. They're not moving. I wonder what the world that is.
1: It most likely is something that's called scale, S-C-A-L-E, scale insect. Um, for whatever reason, we're seeing more bug problems, scale amelie bugs, on basil than, you know, we almost ever see. This summer, I, maybe it's because the natural predators have been hit hard by the heat, but uh, it's not something this late in the year, it's not something that I would really try to spray for, um, are you going to try to save your basil through the winter, or are you just going to plant next spring?
8: I'm going to try to save
1: it. Okay. I would mm-hmm. probably I would probably cut your basil back. Uh, you've still got plenty of time for it to branch out, but uh, I'd try cutting it back so that you can get rid of most of that scale, give it a little liquid fertilizer, like has to grow or something like that, and it should come back out. But um, most of the basil gets pretty woody, pretty leggy by this time, and it certainly doesn't hurt uh, to to cut it back. So I'd cut it back and feed it, try to put some new growth on it. Um, If you, probably most of the scale is going to be up toward the top. If there's any of it left, uh, you can go back and just, you know, dab them individually. They have kind of a hard shell over them, so um, dab them with a little bit of alcohol, just a Q tip and some alcohol. Uh, rather than trying to spray. Spraying for scales is kind of a little difficult, and it's a whole different subject. But uh, I'd, I'd cut them back. I'd feed them. I'd try to get some good new growth on them. If you see little young scales show up, it'll be more of a lighter, kind of a tan brown color, and it'll be much softer than what you're seeing now. Then you can spray with something called spinosad soap, but I think it'd be a waste of time to spray the whole big plant right now. Okay, thank you very much. You have a great. Well, you have a wonderful, wonderful Sunday, and I know we'll talk again. Uh, Doctor Kirby just walked in, so be thinking of your pet Uh, questions—whether it's your dogs, your cats, your birds, your rabbits, your chickens. We get to talk about a lot of uh, very, very interesting subjects. Uh, One more time, let me go over uh, upcoming events the next couple of weekends because there's some good, fun things coming up. Next Saturday, Saturday morning down at Mission County Park, you're going to find. the Green Space Alliances, Nature Fest, lots of activities. I'll let you go to the website to see what all's going on down there, but this is a family-friendly event put on by a really, really good organization. Uh, also, next Saturday morning out at the Castle, uh, Castle Rock Volunteer Fire Department, which is uh, up between uh, uh, up between Pipe Creek and Bandera. They're having their annual turkey shoot and fundraiser up there. They're not shooting turkeys, they're shooting targets, but, uh, very much worthwhile supporting. And then, uh, next Saturday evening up in Burg, uh, uh I'm sorry, in Kendalia will be the big Candelia Volunteer Fire Department's Mexican food supper and fundraiser. It's great food, <laughs> it's a great fellowship. Have a silent off auction, uh, and a live auction. Have a raffle, some lots of fun things. I wouldn't mind winning some of the guns that are in that this year. But anyway, that's going on this next Saturday. The following Saturday, the 11th, uh, Commemorative Air Force having their dinner dance, their hangar dance, uh, as they call it, uh, up at their base up in San Marcos, uh, dinner, an evening of dinner with from Black's Barbecue and dancing uh, with some vintage World War II aircraft. Yeah, it just sounds like a wonderful experience, something you probably enjoy a great deal. And then that Saturday night, all the way up to Sisterdale, we're looking at supporting their volunteer fire department barbecue and shrimp boil up there. So a few fun things coming up. Uh Right now, stick around. We're about to have an hour of your pet's health with Dr. Dan, Dur- Dan Kirby. Next Saturday morning, we'll go back to plants right here on KTSA Radio, San Antonio, Texas.